Let's start off with the introductions. That's probably the most important place to go. So we've got, let's start with Chloe. Yeah. So hi, everyone. My name is Chloe Chia. Uh, daytime, I work as a designer and management consultant. And by night, I'm helping out my partner Harris with his YouTube channel. And uh, We're not going to Harris yet. What is a management consultant? Management consultant. For well, those of us that don't have real jobs. <laughs> um, so I have the privilege of sitting in with C-level executive boards of different companies and tell them what to do and they trust my advice. And I do so with a bit of graphic design flair. Nice. L- lots of like PowerPoint. Oh, too much PowerPoint. Too much PowerPoint. Okay. And then yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Harris Ahmed. I have a photography YouTube channel and I do photography. and. And videography, videography and be a brand consultancy here and there. And yeah. Also, I don't forget, I, I was watching your, um, I, I have to do like a mindset thing before I do anything. So gotcha. if I go and do, uh, if I've got like a portrait session lined up, I have to do something to do with the type of work that we're going to be doing beforehand. Yeah. So you kind of like myself warm in up the a mindset. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you. I can't go in cold. Otherwise I just, no, 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 it won't be any not. good. So I was watching your YouTube channel this morning while I was doing a bit of ironing. Mm. And my favorite thing that I've seen is on the, um, I don't do videography myself, gotcha. but there was like the tips for like handheld. Yeah. And it was you, Chloe, doing the lean, where you were like uh, demonstrating a lean. Uh, and there's yeah. like a few of them where I genuinely thought you might actually just like miss what you were going to lean on and fall straight <laughs> down. Um, there so, were, there were a few test leans. Yeah. Right. I mean, the ninja walk was a close second. Like your ninja walk is pretty good. It looked uh, like you did a few goes of it as well. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like that took a few practices and that's why I specifically was like, I'm going to show you this, but I'm not going to use it. Like unless I desperately have to and there's no other choice, but right. it will work if you, if it's your last resort. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things that made me contact you about doing this was um, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship personally with YouTube, especially like the photography side I heard, of things. I, we listened and I was like, why is he inviting me? <laughs> well, because <laughs> yeah, it's a trap. No, it's it's because um, I, I don't disbelieve you right. in your videos. You come across very genuine. I appreciate that. And like you, you even, you go as far as to say, I wouldn't do it this way or like I wouldn't do this unless I absolutely had to. Yeah. That's not very common. I have a bit of an issue with the side of YouTube that is like, we just need to hit the monetization mark. Yeah. I need to say as much as possible, but say as little as possible in six minutes. Yeah, gotcha. And I don't feel like when I'm watching your stuff that that's the case. It feels like when you make a video, it's because you feel compelled to make a video. (sighs) I feel... I feel good. That's ex- that is exactly you hit the nail on the head. Has that like, calmed it down? Were you here? Like, is this guy going? No, for I, 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 like when I was listening to your to your previous podcast, I was like, oh, this guy sounds genuine. He's like, he's just a genuine guy, and he wants to talk to genuine people. So I thought, okay, cool. Then you said you wanted to, you know, talk about street photography, yep. and you're kind of interested in street photography. So we can give value to each other that way. And I thought that was cool. And I was like, all right, cool. So I, this shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. But um, well, yeah. you, you said in your reply to me that you accidentally fell into yeah, sort of I accidentally fell into it. it wasn't so, like so. Run that by me. How does that go? Okay, uh, do you want me to like start from the beginning? Go for it. Context. All right. So, um, my background is fine arts, right? And I've just been drawing all ever since I was a kid. 
and I loved recording moments, facial expressions, all that good stuff. Anyone in fine arts would kind of get what I mean. Like even Chloe's background is fine arts too. Mm -hmm. And um, then I was like, how the hell do I make money out of this? Like my dad's an entrepreneur. He makes, he has, he, all he does is like to set up businesses and make money that way. And I'm very like, I don't like maths. I'm terrible at maths. Um, my school, I had, had to work 10 times harder to get like a C or a B. Right. And then kids would just be like, I just revised like two pages last night and I got straight A's and I'm like, well, you're the kid, you're the fish climbing a tree. Yeah. Basically in, in that yeah. analogy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, academia is not my thing. I love and appreciate academia because I know it helps people. And my brother, for example, goes to private school and I can see him doing really well, but I'm just, it wasn't working for me. Right. And fine arts was like my thing there. It's like, okay, I can legitimately do well in something. Yeah. So, and I was always curious about photography, but my gripe with photography is when sixth form, which is basically like pre-college in America. Um, it was low. I just saw like people being very like elitist and pretentious about photography and being right. like, Oh, you know, like lenses and numbers and apertures and stuff. And then so more, you mean more like technically, yeah like focus more on technicalities and whether or not a photo was good they could tell you they could tell you why a bad photo was good kind of but it was more like they know the exposure triangle so they think they're better than you oh i see you know what right. i mean like yeah, yeah. when you're like 18 you, and i have no clue what's going on they just and then but the problem i faced was the results i saw was people just like taking pictures of people in the woods you know what i mean like for case studies and stuff you just see people like oh i'm gonna do this crate like um this uh, uh, case study yeah, or like coursework. It was coursework, right? Mm -hmm. Your coursework is going to be like, do something to do with like drama or like real, you know, sh expressive motion. And you just be like, oh, can I, and you have people on Facebook being like, can I have someone for my, my project at school? Yeah. And it's like, we're just going to go take pictures in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure they weren't just trying to get you out into the woods. I have didn't you, personally have, go. Well, they might have just been trying to like, oh, the woods is really cool. You should come out of us and. You know, you go out one day like, uh, and no, then you're on the evening news. I mean, I'll take, I'll take the woods over what one of my classmates did, which was go into like her closet, hang up a bunch of scissors and then take this like top down MySpace perspective of a girl underneath the scissors. And that was like edgy. Oh, just to like oh, give even more context. It was like, I'm 26 and 27 next week. So this, when I was in like sixth form, we're talking about MySpace era, like MySpace yeah, yeah, yeah. was like. The thing. Yeah. Right. So when that's had, why. Was it like your top five or something on MySpace and you had like a song on your profile? Yeah. yeah. Like, that was the shit. That was like when MySpace was at the peak of it. I existence. saw a thing the other day that was like, oh, we should do a thing on Facebook where you have like a song playing when people visit your profile. And I was like, like, yeah, that's MySpace. That's basically <laughs> MySpace. Yeah, we've yeah. been there already. So that's basically what steered me away from photography until right. I went to uni. I did a, a course in digital media where basically it sounds very like, what well, is digital media? It's basically just. You get to try a bit of everything. So graphic design, um, bit of photography, bit of filmmaking, bit of television theory and all that good stuff. And by the end of it, you should kind of have an idea of what you want to do. Right. By the end of it, I was like, I still wanted to kind of keep my hands on this arts and design thing. But so I ended up going to graphics and Chloe's probably going to be like, ha ha ha, because... <laughs> She's a proper graphic designer. I was just like, I just downloaded Adobe and was like playing You're around. You're a ghetto with, one. Yeah. Right. So I see. ghetto. Just going on YouTube, learning how to use Illustrator and right. getting not very far, right. but still managing to make a logo if, 
if need be. Right. So then I kind of helped out my dad's business. It was property development and stuff. So I helped him out with that, did the branding terribly, but they loved it because they're getting it done for free. Right. So yeah. you can just call up and be like, Hey, can you do this? And I'm like, I'll figure it out. And then it came to the bit where we were spending a lot of money as a company on interior photographers. So my dad was like, you're very good at Photoshop. Here's a Canon 100D that I've had lying around. Here's a fuckload of lenses. Take pictures of the apartments. Right. Because you're in charge of marketing for the company. And you're free. And I'm free. I don't, I'm not an expense as yeah. much. And if I can figure out. You were out lying Photoshop, around. The camera was lying around. Yeah. It was just, in heaven. So. Sorry. Um, so I did that. Went on YouTube. Was like how to take picture. What is manual? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm. Let's put it this way. I'm like 21. Right. So it's a good. We're talking a good like six years ago. Wow, I've been doing it for six years. Anyway, <laughs> so I've been doing it for six years, playing around. You had a breakthrough just now. <laughs> yeah, literally. Time flies when you have fun, I guess. So been doing that. Realized that I. I it's kind of crazy because when I took the pictures. I thought that you had to like, I used to pre press auto and use flash, which was terrible. Right. And then I was like looking up how do other like interior photographers do it. And then they got these massive light panels and would like take different angles of where the light is, yeah, then, go into Photoshop yeah. and then brush out the exposure and you'd have like 10 layers. And eventually the, when you collapse it all down, you'd meant to have this gorgeous kind of well lit room. Yep. And I was like carrying around these massive lights with a small Canon 100D. Yeah taking pictures with this massive light of a room and spend like hours on one picture. It would look great, yeah, yeah, but it was not worth the effort. Right. Then eventually someone was like, just go to F8, just drag the shutter speed down until you light enough and just press the button and you have it perfectly exposed because nothing is moving. Why do you need the, to throw around the light all the time? Right. So that was cool. And then obviously you learn that kind of tech. And that's, I only knew how to take one type of photo, which was interiors. So I wouldn't know how to take portraits. I didn't know much. I just knew that those settings equaled good interior photos. Right. And I just kept repeating that yep. process and Photoshopping it. And then eventually tried out Lightroom because I just watched a load of Lightroom tutorials. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, I love sunsets. As a kid, I've always just loved painting them. So I was like, oh, it'd be a great opportunity to just like, same concept, right? You go there, put, stick a tripod down, go to like F8, F9, and you pretty much get a nice landscape ish right. and then i started working in central london so i worked in piccadilly so fast forward like two or three years i'm fairly competent with the camera i've learned it fairly well right i've got my first full frame camera 60 by canon and i was just like snapping stuff I had a load of photography fans eventually so we started taking pictures together and then um i really liked what i was doing where i was taking pictures of london and there was no people in it because I used to wake up like four or five in the morning to take pictures of land or like monuments, like big band right. and stuff like that. And then eventually I was like, Oh, what if people walked in? It's kind of annoying, but then a few of them turned out kind of cool, you know, like a little silhouette of people walking through, right. started looking good. And then I kind of just dropped it for a while. I got busy doing other stuff. I started taking pictures of like, and I just tried other, other stuff. I did kind of left street alone. No, you were experimenting with a lot of different things. Yeah, I started doing a bit of wedding. I started doing a bit of 
product. I, I realized that camera was the way forward for me. Like using a camera was going to be a way that I make a living eventually. So right. I started dabbling in other things and figuring out like- You had your medium, just not your genre. Right, exactly. I didn't yeah. know what the hell I was doing, but I knew that this is going in a good direction for me. So yeah, I did that for a while. Then I came back and I started realizing that I was doing like marketing in central London and on my lunch breaks and stuff, a good way to like, you know, have a therapeutic kind of like break yep. is go for a walk. And I always went for walks, but now I could go for a walk and take pictures. Yep. So you'd go for a walk, take pictures. And then I guess being Instagram is kind of like, it's made street photography very, um, I don't want to say accessible, but it's really displayed it to like a mass standard. Well, if we can go on a tangent from yeah, there. Yeah, go for it. One of the things, um, so I'm I'm not a street photographer in any way, shape or form. It's a project I'm doing this year to kind of make force myself to do it, see what I can learn from it and try and improve it and so on. Um, it's incredibly accessible because really you need a camera and a street. Yeah. Or not even a street a lot of the time. You know, you, you're in like the tube station or wherever you are. Yeah. You're just out and about. The fact that it's so accessible, coming from the point of view of something like music or coming from art or anything like that, the most accessible thing is usually the the, the genre that's the most filled with people that aren't really trying. Mm. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot of that'll do's. Yeah, 100%. A lot of people that are kind of like, well, it, it counts. That's a street photo. You know, fuck you, that'll do. Mm. And there's not a lot of like will to improve. Do you see a lot of... One thing I find with street photography is that there is a huge discrepancy between the good stuff and the bad stuff. Mm. Whereas like with portraiture, I could, from my layman point of view, I can see the layers of like someone that's like at this point in their journey, or they've got a bit better here or there, you know, they've mastered this side of something. You can see like a buildup. Whereas with street, I see like amazing stuff or like Crap. CCTV level yeah, like that's, 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 uh, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like there's no narrative. There's no, like yeah. I'm looking my wife is like the worst for street photography. She hates it. She doesn't understand it at all. Cause like you could, I show her stuff that I think is really good. And she's like, cool. Mm. I'm like, okay. Like you're not, you're not feeling anything from this then. I think like a lot of it, there's no, there's, there's no message behind the photo. There's no intent yeah. behind the photo. No message, no narrative. There's not that magic um, which I think the essence of street photography, I mean, we can argue, we are, we've argued with so many people over times. the actual definition, like, oh, if it's not spontaneous, it's not street. Right, um, right. But I think a key element of good street photography requires elevate an elevation of the mundane. Right. Like taking yeah. your everyday surrounding um, or people's everyday surroundings and finding the poetry within it. Yeah. That is, I agree with you. Showing it's, someone what they haven't seen in something they already know. Right. Yeah. And that's in short supply because, you know, people take the usual cliches here and there instead of, um, I don't know, like you said, narrative or something very interesting or or happenstance. Um, like coincidental color, I find fascinating. I find yes. it amazing watching, uh, looking at images. Was, and I, I, I'm, I come from a musical background. I've been in a lot of recording studios. And Same here. And I'm fascinated when I listen to music, I, like bad songs, especially I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what is everyone looking like in the studio when this has been recorded? Like the engineer that's behind the desk has got to be laughing his head off. Or smoking something. Yeah. Like, or he's not in the room. They've just hit record and he's just fucked off. Like 
there has to be a level of, I couldn't give a shit. And I, then when I translate over to photography, I go the complete other, other way and I'm looking at the high end of it and I'm like, how long did that guy wait there? Like he saw this one, like very, very stark colored doorway or whatever. And he's waited and waited and waited for someone to come past in like the same. The thing is he must've saw potential in it. Yeah. Mm. But, but like, the, to me, it's the patience. Like for me, like, I think what helped me ease into it was, I think now you've kind of given a, that kind of tangent, I can kind of articulate it better now. Go like Because I focused so much on composition when I was doing like my quote unquote landscape, but in reality it was just city monuments because I, lo- I really, really wanted to do landscapes mm-hmm. because I loved nature and stuff. But in reality, I was just surrounded by London. Yeah. Like, I live in East London, so Bank is a big place. The office I was working in was in Lambeth, so Big Ben was around the corner. Right. These would be the things that I would, the only thing that I would ha- was able to take pictures of. Mm-hmm. But I would master the composition. Like if I walk past Big Ben, I know the exact angle where to get it at. If I go to Carnaby Street, I know exactly which is the right corner, which is the right staircase. Yeah. And I know that that would make a nice like London photo. So you'd go on Instagram, tag London, at London, and it would do pretty well. Yeah. And you could also get away from the cliches being so familiar with it. You know, not the usual stuff that any old tourist can take. So I think when people started coming into the frame, it wasn't that kind of like CCTV thing. It was like they complemented. They were yeah. like the, the finished bit of furniture. It's like you have this beautiful shelf that you built and then you put the final like little trinklet on top just to kind of like polish it. Right. It's the life in the image. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. for me, pe- people walking through, it gives give it that soul. Yeah. So like for me, it's to me of my street photography is authentic to me because I live in London. I work in London. I'm there every single day. I'm bored of it. So I might as well make something mundane and turn it. If you have an image of somewhere that's like known to be heavily populated, but no one's in it, the the picture is almost about the people that aren't in it more than it is about what's in the photo. Because uh, especially if you know it's heavily populated, it's the lack of people is more the message than anything else. So people, even when they're not directly involved in street photography, tend to sort of be doing it. Like I don't know how to describe it, but they're kind of like like conspicuous by their absence when they're mm. not there. You know, like I I was, uh, follow a couple of street photographers where I'm trying to kind of build up a little bit of an understanding of like my own taste and what I like. And there's one guy who I've been following, and he did this whole like zine, this whole series of images with mannequins, and it okay. was like then it's as many images as possible that don't actually have people in them, or they only have like shadows but there's mannequins Mm. and it was just really interesting to like i always find with with any kind of art form the more you restrict yourself i think the more creative you become oh yes Um, yeah you give yourself like only two variables and you're like that that's you have to work with it yeah that's it and youtube shows a lot of that where you get people that like we're gonna go out and we're gonna do like an hour of whatever only using this lens or whatever i did that yeah that's that's people's um urge to restrict themselves to see what they get from it like yeah I, i think Photography is a funny thing because everyone wants to go and buy a new thing to go right. and get better, like that instant gratification. But actually, the second you get it, you then want to restrict yourself to just that thing. Mm. So it's it's weird. It's kind of like a uh, it's you just paradoxical more more. almost. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So before yeah. I want to, I'm going to come back to where you ended up because I, yeah. I've I've put a pin in it. I haven't lost you. Don't worry. But I want to get you up to speed. So Chloe, tell me about yourself. Uh, well, how did you end up with a camera in your hand? Go for it. <laughs> Um, I've always had cameras in the house. My, uh, mom was a beauty pageant winner. Um, okay. 
And then my dad, coincidentally, was also a photographer. Right. Um, but he, for him, it was less about the artistry and more just, you know, he grew up in in a poor part of Malaysia and photography was a way to kind of quickly make money, um, you know, taking portraits and corporate headshots. Right. Uh, and, you know, typical guy, he just likes playing with machines. Tech. Um, tech as a yeah. hobby. And I so- mean, that's super, super sexist and I'm triggered, but yeah, that's cool. <laughs> It's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely true in um, in Asia for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so I grew up surrounded by all of his cameras. My first one was a tiny little Sony CyberShot that he would give me. You know, whenever we went on family holidays, and um, you know, I would always take on his old cameras. And soon I kind of graduated up to his DSLRs, and finally my parents bought me a, a Canon T4i or. A, mm-hmm. Rebel. Rebel, a Rebel T4i or a 650D. Okay. Um, and so that was my camera for a little while. For uh, the life of me, I've never understood why Canon did that. I, I why don't Why they know have either. two different names for the same camera in different places. Yeah, I did a yeah. video with the 100D once and someone in the comments was like, it's called this, you must also mention its other name. And I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to know? Yeah, who cares? How would I know? Like, I love the idea of like the marketing team at Canon, which... Christ, the marketing team at Canon, but they just sat around. They're like, I think that's a whole nother podcast, man. Oh, mate, I probably just need to go outside and have a little. I need to probably have a cigarette, and I don't smoke. I want to talk about Canon, but I think like they're sat around in the marketing team. They're like, how can we make this more confusing? We need to. We need to have people not able to understand their cameras between themselves. Um, Sorry, so you're you're out there with your Canon. So you're both Canon to start with. To start, we'll we'll get to we'll get to the transition, but yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. Well, technically, Canon and Sony, um, because we had a mix of those in in the house. Okay. And then I think I started taking it seriously when I was in uni. Um, -hmm. I would do a lot of event photography for the social groups I was in. Um, being a design student, of course, we had some sessions with a photography professor mm-hmm. playing around in the studio so i got some experience there shooting in the studio doing a lot of portraiture and just odd things but what here was and there. what was speaking to you so if you were doing events and portraits and stuff what was what was the thing you most enjoyed doing i think for me it's always been about the story right and the camera was just a nice easy way to to quickly capture that especially for things that are happening in the moment spontaneously like I mean, Harris will tell you, I love doing events and weddings because, you know, it's one of those things that they happen only once in a while or once in a lifetime. Yeah. And you as the photographer have that privilege of of being there and helping document that. Yeah. So I always enjoyed playing that historian role, you know, wherever I went. Documenting the moments. Yeah, yeah. documenting the, the moments. Um, unfortunately, as soon as I entered the workforce, you know, my primary thing is, is graphic design. So that kind of took over and I was starting to question my career and stuff and drop the photography. Uh, and then, you know, due to some work issues, uh, no, not work issues, immigration issues. um, AKA Trump. Yeah. I got kicked out of the U S right. I was thinking you had quite an American twang to your whereabouts. Um, I was living in Chicago at the time, right, okay. went to uni in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got kicked out of the US. Um, thankfully, the company I was with had an office in London. So that's how I moved to London. Yeah. About so really, you should be thanking the guy. Yeah. 100%. Like, I'm. Yeah. It was a blessing in disguise. It was a blessing in disguise. You know, I'm, just, I'm just putting a positive spin on things. Like, 
Trump and Cannon are the main reason why we kind of yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, you can thank those two whenever you like. No, so take take your opportunity. Make photography great again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And- so you come over to London to work for the same company. Yeah, and same then company. how do you two? So I was moving to the UK with I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't have fresh off many the boat. friends. Fresh here, yeah. off the well, boat. fresh off the plane. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, and so I thought, okay, what's the quickest, most efficient way to meet cool people? Because I ain't got time with the crazy hours I have at my job. So of course I download Bumble. Right. Uh, initially starting out just, you know, swiping for other girlfriends. And then girl, my, this girl has needs. So eventually I switched over to the dating side of Bumble. Bumble has two, two options. I One, see. you can meet friends, right. make local like buddies and you know, if you want to meet someone locally who's like got the same interests, you want to hang out. Right. But then you also have the dating part, which is the most kind of well-known and popular thing about Bumble. I yeah. see. So one of the things I've found since I start, I just started doing my photography about six years ago. Um, me and my wife got together when I was 15. And yeah, I heard. Yeah. Like I, I, the amount of people that are like, oh yeah, we met through this thing. And I'm just like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> like, how like what app did you guys use to meet? It's like school, <laughs> that's <just gonna> be. <laughs> like, which is not a good answer to a question when you've got a beard, because um, that sounds a lot more uh, uh, different connotations. Yeah. So you you how do you how do you swipe on each other? What's what's happening? Um, so with Bumble, Bumble's special um, compared to the other apps in that it lets the women make the first move. Oh. And so as I was swiping through, I noticed this rather dashing. Dark horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he stood out actually mainly because of the really good quality photos you had. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy, he's really handsome. Right. And I appreciate the damn good photo quality. Was the fact that he was wearing like a, a MAGA hat an off putter? Or- <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you were, you were wearing a shit ton of Carhartt. I was very street. You were very no street. No pun intended. Right. Not, not. You were a street photographer. Legit, like yeah. to the T. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All of your, all of your photos were, like were street. street. Right. In the street, wearing street, being yeah. street. Except for my favorite one of you on your profile, which was you in the woods. Yeah. Uh, then you just have a random enough. one in the woods. Right. You, you got to have a picture in the woods. I mean, I'm next to Epping Forest. So like. Well, there you go. Yeah. So swiped on that. Um, Did you know straight away though that you both had an interest in photography? Yes. His profile was coffee, cameras, calisthenics. Yeah. Okay. And yours was? Um, I don't know. It was was like a laundry list of like things I want to do. And one of the items was, you know, take photos. Right. Make memes. And make memes. How jarring is it to come to England from from America, like obviously weather-wise uh, there's, there's fairly big differences oh, well, I, and culturally. I, I actually really love the cold weather. So right. moving here was, was perfect. Well, if you were like, did you say Pittsburgh and Chicago? Yeah. Pittsburgh so you would have had cold. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, here it's mild. Yeah. Yeah. They have like proper cold. We kind of have not a lot of anything. We feel four seasons in one day. Yeah. As we did when we were driving down, it was like raining then it's sunny yeah. and it's cold. And then it's like, oh, t- Take the jacket off. It's getting hot now. Yeah, I mean, with, when I do weddings now, I've gone past the point of like hoping for a good day, and I'm just like hoping for like a good three hours, and then the rest of it can just piss off. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Like we can have a hurricane after everyone's in eating. I don't care anymore. As long as it doesn't get in the way of a shoot. Yeah, yeah. every yeah. single venue has like a backup plan. So you reckon? Really? Oh sure. Yeah, no, they don't. 
Man, I think I've just been lucky to the venues You've been I've lucky. been. No, I've, been, I've there's there's a couple of venues that we've been to where you're like, cool. Um, so what do so we do if you're in? It's a flood. What's happening? And they're like, everyone's going outside for canapes, and if they don't want it, they can go fuck themselves. And wow. you're like, oh great, this is going to be a fun day. I'm glad I'm weather sealed. <laughs> like I'm going home with the flu today. Great. Pro okay, so, so you guys, you guys meet up. Yeah. We'll skip all of the the romantic side of things because <laughs> no one wants to hear that stuff. Basically, she just asked me simply. Canon or Nikon? Oh yeah, that was my opening that, line. Was that really, I thought I was waiting. Right? You bring this up, right? Isn't it weird that that used to be the question? What? Canon or Nikon? Yeah, that used to be. Now, if you said no, Canon no, no, or Nikon, actually, almost no one would go Canon or Nikon. Canon or Nikon? They'd, They'd be, be like, like Sony or something. Yeah, I'm Panasonic. No, actually, I, I remember now. It I was, was this is the- it was it was <laughs> Canon, Nikon, or a camera Maverick. That's literally what I asked. Yeah, and I was like, I Canon. left I left an open door for other brands because I was actually also considering Fuji at the time, but. Right. You know, the was comfortable. You were not taking photos at the time. I yeah, had to no, I wasn't. You. I think that's how we clicked. I was like, I was the one like throwing myself out there, taking pictures, throwing them on the line, getting feedback. Like even right. if you know, just like really having a go at it. Then she'd be like, "I oh, have these great photos. Where are they? Oh, they're in my Lightroom catalog." And I'm like, "Why the <laughs> fuck are they not online? Like showcase your work." Yeah, yeah. But yeah, going back to the, I think it was like apparently the Canon bit saved my ass. If he just said Nikon, would you have been like, oh, prick, and just not had anything to do with him? Ah, uh, I mean, I would have considered it, but then in, <laughs> in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, you're not a Canon shooter. I can't borrow your equipment. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're a Nikon, so you obviously work in low-level IT. That's usually the answer, right? <laughs> I've done Ooh. workshops and I've, I've premiered that jokes in workshops. It doesn't go well. People that shoot Nikon don't find that joke funny, which makes it funnier for me. Um, I agree. All right, so you both now Fuji? Yeah. And what spurred that? Obviously, you're on Canon. You're so infused by Canon's amazing progress in the last five years. (laughs) All right. So (laughs) going back to like the whole street photography thing, that that kind of links into why. So like we were just talking about like, you know, I was doing landscape and, you know, having the the restriction of being in the streets as it is kind of forces you to get good at taking street kind of photos and I try to steer away from the whole creepiness of like lurking up on people and just kind of using people walking by to kind of like create this nice composition just to add a bit of bit of spice to my right. already composed shot that I thought that's this is a cool lighting if someone walks past, be really good. We were both using Canon and I was originally on the my first full frame, which was 6D, and I found it to be very clunky and big. Mm-hmm. So I kept trying to like find small lenses to kind of like right. make it a smaller package and kind of like keep it in my jacket pocket, which never materialized. Just buy a really big jacket. That's... Yeah, I did that. But then again, like <laughs> I hate having a big jacket because it's, yeah. it's heavy. No, just... no, a really big jacket when you're out taking pictures in public is super helpful. Yeah, you just... It, it doesn't look weird by a school It doesn't look or weird. You don't it's look fine. creepy at all. No, no, it's fine. So you're fine. Like, if you mix it with just a bit of heavy breathing. And then you just, you know, <laughs> grow a big as a beard. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> You convinced me to get one of those honking full frame cameras too. By hey. then I had my 60 Mark II. Yeah. So then I wanted to try YouTube. Uh-huh. Go to like, look, I really want to do video. I know video is the future. You can't just be a photographer if you don't know how to do a bit of video, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest now, like things are evolving. We kind of need to adapt or die. Right. So I was like, how do I learn video fast? Make a YouTube channel, learn how to make videos by making loads and loads and loads of YouTube videos. Eventually... <clears throat> Sorry, you're just going to have to like get good at it somehow. Yeah. So that was my theory. And 
still learn, doing it now. Learn for experience. Kind of yeah, yeah, just yeah. keep throwing yourself out there. Don't claim to be the best or anything, but just keep sharing your progress. I'll bring people along on your journey. Yeah, like, the, what do I have to offer? Well, I have my experiences, so let's just roll with that and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a while, and I learned a lot very quickly. I was like, oh, crap, like, autofocus is important. Like, you need to see yourself. Flippy screen, really helpful. So I was like, oh, this is cool. But then something kind of ticked me off, and I was taking pictures. The 6D Mark II photo quality was not as good as the original 6D. And I was like, am I just stupid? Is this me? Like, And I saw a few people on forums mentioning it, but no one on like YouTube was mentioning it. Uh, On specs, on paper, the 6D Mark II kind of was the upgrade, right? Yeah. Because everything was better, better sensor, better everything. But when I looked at the actual images, the images on the original 6D looked better. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really... I just always felt like the sucks, right? Even though I was doing video, but as you know, being in London, it's not like being in Canada where you can just whip out a camera with a flippy screen and start vlogging your day to day because you're gonna get jacked. You're gonna get like, "Hey, blood, what are you doing? Give me that yeah. phone. Give me that camera." I mean, it. if you don't get beaten up and robbed, you're you're just gonna get mocked beyond belief, and you're gonna have someone who won't leave you alone while you're doing it. Right, whatever, yeah. and I try to like be spontaneous and be carefree because I really don't care half the time and started doing b-roll trying to like walk across london taking shots and stuff and i'll just get okay you guys probably can't see this but people would just do this right cover their face cover yeah. their face put their the hands out be like i had that yesterday like my first full street photography trip had like oh. a full Ooh. hand out at me yeah no i was well excited about it because i have no awkward filter at yeah, all. yeah yeah i don't ever feel awkward i like lean into awkward situations really hard <clears throat> so when he did it i was just like i just smiled at him I don't know why. I I didn't know what else was supposed to do because I thought this is like a fun game for both of us. I didn't realize that for him, it was like, I'm going to punch this guy in the face. For me, it was like, this is fun. Um, Anyway, sorry, carry on. So yeah, that was was an issue. So I was like, am I doing something wrong? And do I not know how to vlog? Like, what's going on? So it felt kind of ridiculous for a while. Mm. And then um, you were helping me kind of like get better video because I was getting fairly good at cutting and editing. But because of her graphic design background, she really shined with motion graphics and titles and just her general um, kind of consultation. Consultation, yeah. Like, (laughs) what is your story? What are you trying to teach people? What is. What's the point of this? Right. Right. Like, she really. Really pushed you. Oh, so I'm glad I picked up on that then, because that's something that really did stand out to me is that, like, like I said, I never felt like watching any of your videos where I was kind of. So I'll I'll be the dickhead. This is my thing I'm saying. This has nothing to do with you. Cool, yeah. So Pete McKinnon, obviously mm. very, very famous. Mm-hmm. There's one video he did, which has got to be the absolute benchmark of pointless. So it's a video where he goes to Canon in Canada. He picks up a 10 to 24. Um, and then he talks about what he thinks of the lens. That's the, that's the gist of the video. That's fine. In essence, there's no problem there. It takes him about seven minutes, so about 60% of this video, to show himself, make a coffee, drive to the place, do loads of like the Tom Heaton style, like walking past stuff, even though we know that you set the camera down. Is he in Banff National Park? No, it's not. No, it's not that level. <laughs> it's it's getting there, but it's 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 him in a car park and it's like takes like four minutes for him to get to the bloody building. And it's just like, maybe it's because I'm British, but could you just hurry the fuck up? It's that monetization. Oh, man. So he gets the lens from Canon because all of us normal people definitely go to Canon and just get given lenses. 
It's not a flex at all. It's totally fine. So he picks up the lens. He then drives back. He sits there talking for about two and a half minutes about the lens, about how, like, he does the usual, like, read off the back of the box kind of review. And then he shows a picture, which is a 10 mil portrait of his friend taken shooting down. And he's like, I would not get this lens because it's bad for portraits. And it's like, if you take away your boner for photography, if you're watching, like, a lot of people that watch Pete McKinnon, they just like the colors and the flashing lights. And there's a, there's a lot of fluff to not a lot of feel with some of it. And it's like, if you took away your boner for photography, this is exactly the same as someone going, I'm going to review a Lamborghini. I'm not going to buy it though. Cause it's not good for plowing fields. It's like, that's literally not the point of that lens in any way, shape or form. So I've just spent like 13 minutes of my life getting you past the monetization line for you to say literally nothing. That's what I find my problem with a lot of YouTubers. And you put a video up in the Fuji group, which mm. is your 35 mil street photography thing, I believe. Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, this oh, is actually. one. Yeah. And it, I was 23 like, mil, yeah. This, uh, 23 mil, sorry. I think it's because I've watched the 35 mil one today. Um, and it's like, this, nothing about this felt superfluous. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, why did I just watch that? That felt like you had an intention before you made the video. Mm-hmm. The video was not like heavily weighted towards like, we just have to get past the line. Like we just have to get, you know what? I only just realized why people try to like do bloopers and get to 10 minutes. Monetization. Yeah. Yeah. I went to my YouTube analytics and I was like, Oh, if you have videos more than 10 minutes, you get to make more money. I didn't realize that. And I was like, but then again, like I personally hate watching videos that drag on to that 10 minute. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. I don't have time. Like I would, I, I'm going to say this just to give context. Like the reason why I started making videos was because of Peter McKinnon. Right. Like he kind of influenced the whole like camera movement for like photographers to start taking video a bit more seriously as well as Casey Neistat. So I do have to like give a lot of credit where it's due. Like if it wasn't for watching his videos for when I was a bit lost with like, what do I do with my camera? Yeah. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Having said that, I do feel like you kind of need to kind of, I get he needs to feed a family and all that, but it, I'm sure he's not struggling. Yeah, I'm sure. Like I've heard many yeah. things for, like how he makes his money. He's and got I'm a like, minted coin, you know. It, it's it's but, it's not a personal thing. I have no, but, but yeah, I yeah. actually find the guy. The reason he's popular beyond anything else is he's incredibly charismatic. You can very, watch him oh, yes. very likable. I'm, I've got no personal issue. It's just, especially when you have someone like him, like you say, where he's spearheaded a big movement. When that person is kind of like. Eh, I'll just put out a video just to get past the line. That just irritates me. Yeah, so yeah. coming back to that, like, I would realize that if I want to make a video that I'd feel happy watching. Mm-hmm. So yeah. number one, like, I don't have any affiliate links to any of the cameras mm-hmm. but, because I just feel like, well, what's the point? Yeah. And number one, I think the reason, I think we talked about this a lot was mm. the reason why I'm doing YouTube is to get good at video. Not mm-hmm. to make money. I don't care about making money off YouTube. If I do make a bit of extra cash and we can go and get like KFC after, that's great. <laughs> Only KFC. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but not know, KFC. Like, it's good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if we can put, if the money can go towards like traveling yeah. or whatever it is. Two KFCs. But it's primarily a creative exercise, not a not a business enterprise. Right. Thing. I kind of I kind of see it as like, okay, I got this cool idea with like technique or lighting or something let's try on the youtube video yeah and let me get used to it so when it comes to doing an actual like corporate job 
I nail it because I've practiced it and I've put it out there. So I've taken it seriously because it's going to go public facing. Right. But at the same time now, when I go to corporate world, I'm, I'm not shy or like, I don't know what I'm doing. So were you shy going in before you'd like the, the first time you were sitting in front of your own camera recording yourself? Were you like... I fucking stuttered a hundred times. I oh, left right. it in in the first video. Do not watch the first video. <laughs> just to, <laughs> just going to get that up now. No, <laughs> not, like, honestly, they were, they were super like... Oh, what I'll do is I'll just link to it at the end of this. If, uh, <laughs> oh gosh. Remember, faith right now. I remember watching the drafts of that because right around the start of our relationship was you actually exploring that whole venue and or that whole avenue and actually to your point chris about you know all these bullshit videos like i totally agree and some this mantra that i've bashed into his head many times is you know always deliver value always be delivering value and thinking about you know the your audience your end user what are they getting out of it and is it worth it and i remember just kind of coaching you through those first few videos and trying to Trying to instill that in you early on. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of weird because like in some ways I feel like I've missed out on opportunities. But then again, I have to remember like what is the bigger picture here? What's the bigger message? Like, yeah, I don't, for example, I don't sell presets, even mm -hmm. though everyone keeps asking me to. And I'm like, but I feel like that's dishonest to my truth. My truth is every photo set deserves its own kind of like preset. Right. You know what I mean? Like, So you're approaching it in a way that you couldn't, like you couldn't, feel good about saying, here's what I would use regardless of what I'm doing, because it's a way of monetizing it. It's for you. It's about your approach to each. Time. But if my approach day to day is not to use presets, why should I make presets? Exactly. Mm. You know, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And people keep asking and I'm just like, sometimes I'll, I'll be honest. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, if I, if I did make a preset, we could just be like, good. You know, like we could just make a couple of hundred pounds extra every month and that would be great. Right. But it's yeah. such a small gain in the long term. It doesn't really help me. Yeah. So I've decided to like strip back and keep my channel like very just me. Honest. Yeah. Well, whenever a bubble bursts, the first thing that kind of goes is the most obviously disingenuous. And I think YouTube will have, obviously it will have ups and downs like everything does. Um, I think it's amazing to me we're in 2020 and we're still kind of of the belief that if something becomes popular it's always going to be popular it's obviously no. going to have its peaks and troughs right it's going yeah. to going to have its ups and downs and when you know it, if the youtube thing drops off a little bit and there's not as much or instagram thing drops off or whatever that was another thing right like if youtube let's say i did really well with youtube and yep. then youtube kind of just like for example the whole monetization crisis when they changed it yeah they changed it just before i just as I started YouTube, so I was like, oh, fuck, well, good luck to me getting some money out of this, even right. though I'm kind of like making it a full-time job for the hell of it. Yeah. But if I did rely on it like a lot of the people did, so that's my own fault. I should yeah. not rely on it. Yeah. Because it's not meant to be relied upon. Like, for example, if you genuinely use presets and you're making them and you're going to sell them, like, good. You kind of get the reap the benefits of that because that's genuine to you. But anyone that kind of makes presets for the sake of it and kind of like they buy cameras off Amazon, review it, then return it and then put the link in the description box, right? which I've heard some people do. Fair enough. If that helps you out and you genuinely try to make a good review about it, cool. But I just don't feel that's good in my conscience. Yeah, I think I just think I'm a bit older than you and maybe I'm a little bit more miserable than you. I think I've seen a bit more of the misery of the world and you're still lovely and bright faced and enjoying 
But I just think <laughs> that there's, there's a lot of people that are very opportunistic and very false. And yeah. because of social media, we're fine with thinking that no one can tell that we're being opportunistic and false. Yeah. When actually pretty much everybody knows. The one thing with like the Instagram bubble or the social media, like I personally, I have a, I have a, an abhorrent hatred for the word follower. Right. Because I think it has like a biblical thing to it. Cultish. Oh, wow. yes. yeah. I didn't think of that. It makes people feel like, okay, well, I'm up here and then all the people that like my stuff are just a bit lower. Subordinate. But, yeah. but thanks for holding me up above you. Right. It, has, it has like a, it, to me, it's a replacement for religion almost in a way, on a very small sense. I see why you say you make it sound very cynical. <laughs> <clears throat> right. I'm, I'm a very cynical person. I'm very old and bitter and twisted. It's just how I am. But it's okay. We were, we prepared ourselves. This <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, challenge the norm, challenge uh, the, the current customs, because if you don't, you could be led down that, that path. You could become an idol follower rather than critically thinking about what's yeah, happening. Yeah, I, I think critical thinking when it comes to, uh, one thing I'd say with anybody, uh, my advice to anybody on earth for anything is to just always start with motivation. Mm. What is your motivation and what is theirs? And if you can mm -hmm. answer those two questions and you can be honest about it, you're in a better position than you were. Yes. So it doesn't matter if that's in photography or if that's in your relationship with your family or going for a job or mm -hmm. someone asking you for a favor. If you can establish what your motivation to or not to do something and their motivation to mm -hmm. or not to do something, you're in a much better place. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I'd say. And I look at, I think it's sad that I, I look at a lot of things and I'm like instantly cynical about it. That's the one thing that makes me, it's a little bit sad because I'd rather I wasn't just like instantly cynical, but then there's so often, especially with, um, with the creative, uh, I mean, I've obviously mm. I've been in music. I started life as a chef and I've just seen it so often where people see an opportunity rather than like what you you say you're doing, like in the way that you're doing it. It's like, this is a, is a conduit to the next thing I want to be doing. Mm. Like this isn't the dest this isn't the destination. Oh, and by this is part of the journey, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are just like, I'm here. This is it. I'm going to milk literally everyone that will yeah. tolerate me for as long as I can, and then I'm going to move on to the. That's literally to me, like like you say, like a cult kind of mentality. Yeah. When it comes to when you two shoot together, mm. how much do your styles bleed over? A lot. A, a lot. A lot. Because I'm always fascinated by that. Was that the case beforehand? When you look at work that before you knew each other. Very different. Very They're different. But you now you spend different. time together. It's kind of you're Blended finding a one. common. Yeah, it's kind of melded together. And even though we kind of mirrored each other in terms of like the camera brands, yeah, we the way we shot, the way we edited, and even the photo, the the type of photos that we would curate to post is very different because I don't know different styles. Um, I mean, I, I said earlier, I'm always about the story, so I lean towards images of like scenes or like people's faces or actions, expressions, interactions, laughter. expressions. Like I, I could care less about, you know, the lighting. backdrops and. Was right. the bokeh at 1.2 or 1.8? Let me try and look at my metadata just to double check. Uh, right. It's more about like, do you, when you see the photo, do you, does it evoke emotion yeah, in do you? Do you feel anything? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On the downside though, that meant that I, technically speaking, I was awful. A lot of out of focus I think that's when we complimented each other, right? Like, <laughs> right. because she focused so much on the moment. I mean, I did too, but she took it to like the next level. Oh, yeah. yeah. Emotion. But, but I kind of like was disciplined enough to make sure like, if I'm taking pictures of people, I know not to go more, less than 120 frames on the shutter speed yeah, yeah, dial, right? Yeah, yeah. She would put on shutter priority. So the shutter speed would go to like 150th of a second. And right. I'm like, 
that's why you're that's why you missed it kind of yes thing, that's yeah. why the yeah. photos are coming out blurred yeah. it's not right. you it's Oops. the camera you should don't be afraid to bump up the iso or like take a bit more kind of conscious effort to like go a bit more manual if need be i know it kind yeah. of takes away from the moment but you don't want to have photos that you can't use and then your lightroom catalog is just full of like thousands of photos yeah and i i always admired your photos being for being like so tack sharp and the colors are just so like vibrant and and punchy and you have a thoughtful consideration in a different way where you make sure that all the technical stuff, the baseline is, is taken care of beforehand. Um, then so I that select you, everything. Yeah. And then you select that you, you're very selective, very intentional about everything. So would it be the case then from your point of view that, you're worried or you're subconsciously worried about focusing on the technical would mean you'd miss the moment. Uh, actually, I just don't give a shit about the technical. I suffer later on because I'm so trigger happy. Like I just want to make sure I catch the moment. I catch the emotions of to the put day. In, to put it into perspective and just to like round off super quickly, like I'll go in Lightroom. I'll spend like 10, 15 minutes just choosing, let's say 10 of my favorite photos before editing anything and then just do quick tweaks and edits and I'm done. And most of those photos would like be technically perfect. They'll already. be all usable. Right. She will go in Lightroom. She'll have like three times as more photos than me. <laughs> she'll go through all of them and then be umming and eyeing and be like, which one shall I use? Oh, this one's out of focus. But they she'll, all have potential. Right. And then narrow it down to like, <laughs> she'll be like, oh, great. I've narrowed it down to 200. That's like 10% now. And I'm like, it's still 200 photos. Yeah. No one's going to look at 200 photos. Choose right. 10. Right. And that's kind of how, and now we've kind of streamlined it down to where, okay, maybe I'll choose a bit more maybe 15, but we've kind of like met each other in the middle now. Right. Yeah. I think it comes from me having done a lot of event photography and you get all those requests from people. Oh, did, I remember you took a photo of so-and-so or you took a photo of me like this, like, where is it? Yeah. But also um, my love for, for documentary and, and photo essays. So making sure that I have enough of a spread of photos to be able to tell that end to end story. And that's where I got burnt. Right. Because when it came to weddings or events, people are like, where are the other ones? And I'm like, the other ones are not good. This is why I'm giving you these ones. Right. And that kind of burnt me a bit. So I was like, how do I stop people from like chasing me up when I've done the job? Because I've been paid. I've done the job. I don't want you chasing me up. That's like more time that I have to work when the job is done. I could be working on something else. Right. Yeah. So I think understanding that people kind of want a bit of everything to make mm -hmm. sure they give a variety, even though maybe that photo wasn't technically to my standard, but some people do really need that photo of them and their mom, even if mom's making a bit of a stupid face. Right. So I had, mm. I learned that the hard way a bit. I mean, with, with weddings, I subscribed, like one of the things I subscribed to really early was with uh, like, you know, Kuleshov, the idea of like, what does, how two frames relate to each other. So mm -hmm. like you could see mm -hmm. uh, an expressionless person and then cut to food and you're like, oh, he's hungry. Or see an expressionless <laughs> person. Like we can apply an emotion where there isn't one by yeah. the next frame. And that, that helped me with weddings where I was kind of like, okay, well, what would be the next stage if this was being filmed? If this mm -hmm. was a movie, what would be the next right. thing exactly. that you need to be seen to tell the story? And potentially like it might take four photos to tell the full story of what I want to do with this transition in the day. But I'm going to, I'm going to find those four photos and the the last three are on my mind when I'm taking the fourth one. It's not like the fourth one is the standalone yeah. and I'm not trying too hard to supersede the idea of the four by finding a way to, um, 
sort of uh, be more clinical and cut it down to one photo or cut it down to two. I want it to be the four photos because that's how I think with mm. weddings, that's the best way to get the story across. Like, like you say, photo essays, it's actually about not trying to restrict it too much because mm-hmm. that you have to be able to kind of link those frames together to tell the story fully and like to get the full yeah. mood and everything. You can't do everything with one frame yeah. and like movies don't, yeah. you know, they do 24 per second. So yeah. you know, for you to be able to do everything in one frame is quite difficult. Yeah. When you're, when you're doing weddings, I don't want to stay on weddings too long. Cause I know most, most <laughs> photographers, when they hear weddings, they just, well, we shoot weddings together, so yeah, so it's okay. So, but when you shoot weddings between you, like each, what yeah. is your favorite part of the day? What's the part where you're like, now I'm going to do my thing? Oh, once we get the kiss, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, let's have fun. Okay. Let's just have lots of fun. Make sure yeah. we we nail the confetti and all that afterwards in the first dance. Yeah. But as long as I get that, I'm like relief. Okay. Well, you get that okay. in photo and video. Oh yeah, because I do photo and video together. Okay. Well, which is kind well, of both of us do. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of. Challenging, but it's a fun challenge. It's a fun challenge, and mm-hmm. it's not too risky, but it is a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we could obviously just hire someone else to kind of help out, which we might have to do in the next few weddings because there are some ridiculous requests for like fifteen-minute videos. What? Right. <laughs> when my videos have been like five minutes slow mo. Yeah. Same one shot, make it last fifteen minutes. There you go. I've I've covered the criteria. I'm done. It's fifteen <laughs> minutes of just like champagne going in the glass. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not saying do that. I'm joking. I wish it was that easy. Yeah. Oh, I've seen some videographers at weddings and I'm pretty sure that's about as far as but the thing go. is some people love that stuff and I'm just like, <laughs> why? Why do you like that? No school like the old school. Hour long VHS tapes. Yeah. Every little moment. So some people like, they love the idea of the, because my wedding videos are just like, just to give context, like mine are like minimum three minutes to five minutes, but you get the whole day in like a nice highlight. Yeah. Beautifully shot. Everything's, start to finish mm-hmm. you could easily show that to your friend and i'm not going to sit there and be like kill me now why am i See, that's, that's exactly what i say i get asked when i go i do consultations they'll say we're thinking about a videographer what do you think and i have the same question i ask every couple and it's like i don't want an answer but it's for you to ask yourselves and it's if you uh if you have a uh so you two of you are a couple do you have a friend that's a, fr- a set of friends that are a couple yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. If they phoned you up and said, Do you want to come around tonight and watch it's our wedding already. video? But do you want to come around and watch our wedding video? And you know it's an oh. hour long. Are you going? We got forced into it. Right. But are you happy about it? No. Right. So I that wish- probably tells you what your preference would be when it comes to your own one. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So when they were like, I mean, I knew already I was onto something because when they were like, Show me the wedding video, I was like, I wish we could just fast forward to the main like kiss ring, right? Um, confetti. Yeah. Maybe show me a few faces. Okay, now the first dance. Okay, we're good. I've seen it now. Yeah. Rather than just like you walking, walking. Oh, here's mom. You're watching. Here's you're like, Is there a trailer? Can we just go with the trailer for this? So <laughs> I think, yeah, coming back to like, we kind of want to shoot it as if we would want someone to shoot our yeah. wedding. Yeah. Which is a really good way mm-hmm. to go about things, I think, because then you you develop your style more clearly. And then when people, and then I have to remember that people in different generations, they're used to the whole VHS, which is like two hours long. Right. And I'm coming, I come from like, a Desi family. So my dad's Pakistani, my mom's Italian, two very like family oriented cultures. And they love that crap. Right. They love the whole like man on a V like 
big like <laughs> one big camera tripod cam. static shot with maybe like a bit of panning and then the baby's crying zoom. like zooming into baby's crying everyone eating and i'm like i would never film people eating it's just disgusting like, yeah i find I, when i get requests for that i'm always like really like, have you seen? I've done it. I've, I went to a conference for a corporate job, and this guy's like, "Okay, brother, now you have to take pictures <laughs> of everybody eating buffet." And I'm like, and it was, and I was just like, "I'm not gonna. I can't send these photos, man. It's just like horrible. Yeah, it just looks so bad." And they're just Get the action shot of the food falling out, and a little bit of food just running <laughs> down the chin. So see, he's loving it. He's he's going for it. No, I I, I got my wife's um Arabic, and uh, some of her family's over in Mississauga. And uh, I think it's like her cousin, Arabic families confuse me. I think it's her cousin that got married a couple of years ago. Mm. And I saw a phone like shot of like the dance floor and people eating and whatnot, just like a pan. And there was a jib. The videographers had a jib crane. Like, oh, so wow. they could do like jibbing what? in and out of. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. How do you ignore that on the day? If I'm sat there eating a bit of cake and someone jibs towards me, I think I might lose it. Like that might be a bit much for me. Like yeah. this crane arm with this camera just coming in on you. But that's the thing, like, I have to remember that some people expect that. Yeah. And then we were having, we had a client that was asking us, like, so we love your style. We want that video that you do, that product. Because essentially, like, going back to, you know, you're all about the events, the essays and everything. I'm very much like, this is my product. These are my five bangers. This mm -hmm. is the product. But I'm very restricted. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. So we kind of have to, like blend the two together and this is what we are but this couple really wanted my style but in like 45 minutes and i was like scratching my head like what do we do chloe we just because we can't make it for i can't do like I don't 60 think frames knows per second <laughs> just burn through like 100 sds in one day right and how much do we charge them like a three four or five minute wedding video will take me like several days of like end to end like every day you're just like editing that video color grading that video like yeah people think yes. it's three minutes but it's like 300 hours man <laughs> yeah yeah people people don't appreciate the level of work that goes into a lot of digital media i mean because nowadays with the technology it's so effortless they're like oh i could do it on my iphone so surely you can you can do it too well do it then <laughs> well yeah you do it then why hire do you, us do you also think that videography and like photography on on youtube to do mm. a bit of an annoying hard swing back towards that but there's a <laughs> lot there's a lot of especially actually just generally in modern culture there's a lot of people that want to look like they're proficient at something when they're not and they want to make something look easier than what it was mm -hmm. so even though like so they could put together a really good wedding video say a five minute wedding video it'd be amazing and they would act to seem like they're yeah. So brilliant. They would be like, eh, you know, just knocked it out. It was no real trouble, but it was actually behind the scenes, really hard work for them. Yeah. But them trying to give off this facade of like, ah, it's really easy is what ruins people that are unknowing and their expectations. Cause they're like, well, this guy said it was easy. Yeah. Why is it hard for you? Like on top of the iPhones, which are now kind of getting a bit ridiculous. Yeah. But on top of that, the people that are actually working in the industry, the, the race to seem like it's easy is really counterproductive, surely. Yeah, I think it's a it's a symptom of a culture that does not allow for any kind of vulnerability. Right. Like there's there's a kind of courage that's needed in order to kind of allow people in to the yeah. background. Um I also think of I forget what's the name of this uh mathematical curve. Um Oh, I'm definitely going to know this. 
Oh, you know the the whole like imposter syndrome, like mastery oh, the, the versus Dunning Kruger effect. Yes, the Dunning Kruger effect. Oh my effect. god, I actually knew it. Yes, oh, it's like, I actually want to hug someone. I'm so proud of myself <laughs> for knowing that. Yeah. Wow. I forgot the when name. When you said so thank Matt, you. instantly, my brain, which is just a, a, like a hamster on a running wheel that's slightly broken, was like, yeah, we're fucked here. We've got no hope of knowing what this is. <laughs> and I was there. <laughs> Done. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway. Mic yeah, no, drop. you're absolutely right. That's a huge part of just everybody nowadays. Yeah. This idea of like, the, one of the big things actually is like how people feel that they're in a position to review stuff. Mm -hmm. Like people, people with no experience or no I don't want to use the word because now Londoners, I'm going to point to you because I don't live there anymore. So it's not my fault anymore. Mm. Misuse <laughs> the word clout. Uh. I mean, I don't mean clout as in like being a show off prick, but I mean clout as in like, they don't actually have the experience and the, the academic background to be in a position to say something does or doesn't work. Wait, there's a, I thought that was the core definition. There's a different one in yeah, London. Yeah, there's like a street thing where you say like, oh, he's got a lot of clout, which means like he basically is just a show of prick. So there's clout as in the reputation and experience, Baby. and then there's clout, the points accumulated in, in London. London. We we kind of recycle really old fashioned words. Yes. And then we kind of give them new street meanings. Yeah. And then a lot of people- If you have any old words you're not using, they will take them off. Like you. when I was in high school, swag became like the new word, but backing like- 1920s swag was like what you stole but it also meant like then it turned into swagger so people were like oh he walked with swagger and you yeah, really like with confidence yeah he, 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 had, he had he had um he had lateral movement in the way he walked yeah like so he was confident <laughs> yeah that would be like you'd read that in novels and stuff yeah. and my parents would be like oh you mean that and it's like the no. actual the most egregious one when i was at school the one that fucking annoyed me so much was buff yeah buff is a Great classic example. Buff was like, so to me, buff means strong, like muscly, big, large. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. When I was at school, that girl is buff. And it's like, why is she, sorry, why is she buff? And it's she like, oh, she's, work out. she's really fit. It's like, yeah, but I'm looking at her and she's literally like 90 pounds when she's wet. But yeah. then like she, she's not winning any fights. How is she buff? And I'm like, no, no, I mean, she's fit. And I'm just like, why don't you say she's fit? It's less letters. English is strange. So that's what I mean. They recycle. So my mum would think like, as you said, like, does this person work out? Are they like hench? Yeah. And then you'd actually mean that, oh, they're pretty. And like swagger now means like street clothes, like tracksuits and like swag, like Swag London uh, is a brand, for example. It's funny because in America, swag was the free t shirts and yeah, goodies stu and stuff, stuff you get we from all companies. Get, right. Here's like some free swag, guys. Yeah, it's like you go to the conference and you get a little bag full of sponsored goodies that you yeah. take home. It's just shit you don't want, like yeah. bumper stickers and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> That's just, um, let's what? let's talk about Fuji. We're gonna have to talk about Fuji. Sorry, yeah, we went uh, on a load a load of tangents. No, no, I, no. That's this well, is literally the most non-linear podcast in the world. I don't <laughs> want there to be an Amazing. agenda. Well, going back to what we talked about earlier with like you know these weddings and not wanting to eat when there's a huge fucking crane and yeah, yeah, yeah. camera right in your face. You know, situations like that, situations like, you know, when you're in the street and you don't want people to be looking at you with this honking, huge, full frame DSLR, just. Yeah. Like that. That sounded really accurate as well. She's oh, amazing. She can do more. Yeah. I can even <laughs> oh. tell, I can tell how many clicks were on that shutter. Like I could tell how old the shutter was based on that impression. It's good. Yeah, that was a good 7D right there. I yeah. I think so. Yeah. Not the Mark II though. The Mark II no. is more crispy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, imagine hearing that when you're just going about your day or yeah. if you're trying to enjoy something. It's so 
intrusive. Right. And I would hate having that. I, I get self-conscious and I'm daughter of a beauty queen. Like, no, that's too much for me. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, right around when I met Harris, um, you know, I wasn't taking photos. And one of the big barriers was because of how huge it was, because of how awkward it is. You can't put in your handbag. I can't put in my handbag. I can't. I feel awkward taking it out because I know it's going to make someone else uncomfortable. And right. that was just like. Have you thought about just a really huge ba- bag? You know, I do have a huge bag. Oh, okay. You got too I, much stuff in there. Then. I have too much stuff right. in no, there. But even like with Canon, for example, right? This is another reason why Canon kind of became a burden was like, just to put it into perspective and Fuji language, like I decided to get the smallest Canon lens that would work for my needs, which was the 35mm F2. Yep. That was like, for me, the smallest Which is a bulk, canon. yeah. That compared to the 56mm 1.2, which is an 85mm equivalent. Which which Fuji people say is too big. Is actually the same size yeah. as Canon's I'd actually say the, 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 the Canon's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit bigger, yeah. yeah. It's actually bigger than Canon's smallest lens. But the price and the quality is and then just... The price is nuts. If you carried I have to a, say, the price to quality ratio of Fuji's nuts. If you carried an 85mm equivalent in Canon, like full frame, yeah. That would be bigger than the camera itself. Yeah. And Canon cameras are big. Yeah. So the fact that I can have like an 85 mil, which is smaller than Cam- Canon's smallest prime lens, yeah. is insane to me. Right. And then when we go out for dinner and we want to like take pictures of the food because we're kind of like with our Asian buddies. So, you know, taking <laughs> pictures of the food is a, is a part of the culture. It's right. part of the eating process. Oh, I was going to call you a hipster, so but it's, it's a cultural thing. So I can't say that. That's why I said it's a culture. Yeah, yeah. Just to I kind of give yeah, context. You, you beat me. I, I can't say anything. <laughs> well, gotcha. I'm an Asian and a hipster, so whoop whoop. Shoot you. Oh god, that it's it's always so awkward trying to bring out that honking thing in in social situations. Right. It doesn't, you know, you, it brings out questions, but it brings out like the awkward questions, like why? Well, awkward questions. Yeah. Awkward questions. Awkward faces. Yeah. We made a video about this as well. Oh yeah. Documentary photography, like, why is it nice to? do documentary photography with your friends and close family members. But yeah. it was, it was um, why it's nice to have someone else documenting an event on your behalf. Yeah. And we kind of talked about how like Fuji kind of enabled it because before it was like a headache, you bring out this camera and it's just like, it takes away all the, the fun. Yeah. But then when you bring out the Fuji, it just looks like your phone or like a cool fashion accessory. So people don't really, they don't blink too many times. No, just- no. And it looks kind of like I've got I've got um a couple of XT3s. And the most common thing I've been asked. I, I had one Is question, it a film camera? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much every every single wedding. Um the one like uh like derogative thing I've had said, which is like, are you gonna get a, a, like a bigger camera when you start doing better? Which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> So now I'm going to get a smaller one. It's funny. I was in an elevator with a manager at mine at work when I used to work back at Apple. And this guy is uh, into music. He loves his music, the DJ. And he was like, oh, it's a, it's a really nice camera. Like the, the results must be really good. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's small, but it really gets the job done. He was like, yeah, it's like, um, you know, vinyl record players. It's just, you can't match the digital stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked in my head. And it was like, he thinks this is a vintage, like right. film camera. And I just... <laughs> As I'm walking away, it hit me and you I was just like, don't let him see the screen on the back so it doesn't get weird. Like, and then I was yeah. like, this is awkward. <laughs> this is super awkward. I can't go back now and be like, oh, by the way, mate, this is actually, no, just like, yeah. let it go. That, that actually reminds me of another advantage that Fuji had over a lot of the other cameras, especially Canon. Film stock. Film stock. Exactly. 
everyone loves to rave about how the color science on Sony or Canon is amazing. But I think one of the standout things about Fuji is that this is a company that has had years of experience in image processing, in film stocks, in, you know, color corrections. And you know, nowadays the aesthetic is all about, oh, that nostalgic film look. Yeah. You automatically get that. In well, the, the thing Fuji. with the Sony right now, I mean, if you ignore... Um, the, there's one part of photography that I'm, I, you know, you know, you get old when you're like, I don't know why they're doing that. Yeah. And it's the like, take a picture of your camera in your hand. Yeah. Photography. It's like on Instagram pages where it's, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. It's flexing. I get it. I get it. You have a camera. Like you had enough, but it's like, to me, those are tramp stamps. Like uh. we get it. You had, <laughs> you had 35 pounds in your pocket and probably weren't making the best decisions on that day. Oof. that's what it looks like to me. Like you had money in your hand and now yeah. you want us to know that you had that money. Like, I don't really know what you're trying to get across to me. How would you feel about those? Like what's in my bag flat lays then? Compared um, to the- I'll tell you, I'll tell you where my problem is with the what's in my bags is, um, the there's to me, there's a real meme type photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy called Thomas Heaton does a lot of landscapes. I know that I follow him. Yeah. Well, right. Sorry. He, amazing. I, I yeah, subscribed. You're, you're one of you're one of his beloved followers. Um, I, I think he takes amazing photos. I think he's an incredibly talented photographer, and I don't mean talented in the sense of like he was gifted. I think he's obviously worked very hard at what he does. Mm. Um, but he did invent two things, which I think are the most memey things in the world. Like just the, to get, just so before, just sorry to cut you. In, I yeah. did unsubscribe. For like, oh, no, you don't have to. You can honestly, you I, could be his brother. I'm still going to tell this story. No, no, go ahead. Um, so the, he does the thing that all landscape photographers have to do now. It's a, it's not a choice. If you want to be a landscape photographer, you don't have a fucking choice. You're doing this. They come around your house and they'll tell you off if you don't, which is you have to set up a <laughs> tripod with a camera on it and you have to walk past it. If you can hit a puddle on the way, that's wicked because then people know that you walk there. Because otherwise, how would they know, right? Mm. I see where it's coming from. Yeah, I watched those videos. And the thing is, it's like, so my wife, who is a photographer, but she doesn't call herself a photographer at all. She's, she doesn't engage with sort of other photographers in the sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's very, very talented with a camera. When she watches that and they do that, she goes, wow, they put a camera on a tripod and then they will past it. And then they have to walk <laughs> back and pick the camera up and then move it to the next. Like, we know what's happening. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, you're... Doc, you're not fooling us into thinking that there was like, well, there was a trail cam and I walked past mm-hmm. it and they gave me the footage and I color graded it. And now it's in, no, we know what happened was you put a camera down and walk past it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that every time someone gives him a new piece of gear, he does another what's in my bag because <laughs> that's part of the contract of him doing, of getting that piece of gear. Yeah. It's like, he then has to like do a video where it's like, well, I've also got uh, this new thing and then I'm just going to repeat the shit that I've had for <laughs> ages and no one cares. And that, that side of it annoys me. If it's for the general purpose of like, I've done, you know, 50 weddings this year and this is the stuff that stuck with me and this is what hasn't worked. And there's like a story behind the pieces of gear in there. Then that's totally fine. That's context, right? Yeah. That, that's what's always missing is that people, my, my absolute bottom line on things is that, and I think you're, Chloe, you're the most going to, I think you're going to understand this. I'm not putting you down at all, but I think from a consultancy point of view, you're going to get what I mean. Mm -hmm. I need to know the fucking why. Yeah. You can give me the what and the when and the how, the how with photography is what everyone fusses over. Like, you know, how did, how did you do something? But like, (sighs) why did you end up doing it? Why did you make the decisions you made? And that's what's always the most interesting stuff to me. Yeah. So, you know, with your 23 mil, Mm. you know, the simple 
point of like, well, there's a 23 mil 1.4, there's a 23 mil f2. Why did you go for that one? Not, I've got both and I'm going to take a picture of them <laughs> and I'm going to have like a storm cloud in the background and there's going to be vape going. Like, I don't want all of the fluff. I just want to know like the whys of how you ended up where you are. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and like, when I look at um, photos that I really like, I just want to know why the decisions were made to yes. end up where you are. What did it work for you? What, how did it help you? And why did the other lens not help you? Yeah. Because if you ask how someone does something or what they use to do it, mm. you can only get to the point where they asked why. Well, this is the thing yes. like where people really tick me off. So they watch my videos and stuff and then they'll be like, Hi, and I'll get loads of Instagram DMs. And if you're someone who's listening to this and is going to... Sorry about that. I don't often send my penis. I, I, I just yeah, wanted, to, right. I wanted to get in touch. I thought I mean, it was the most appropriate way. It is a bit of a surprise, I mean. Yeah. It's inverted, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're someone that like DMs and like, oh, which lens should I get? Should yeah. I get the, tw let's say, for example, 23 F F2 or the 1.4. Yeah. For example, um, I don't actually have the 1.4. Right. But with the 35, for example, we have like three different 35s. But yeah. that's a whole different explanation. But There's a bunch of whys as to why that is. Yeah, the, the, con the context is definitely there. But let's stick with the 23 just for simplicity purposes. It was the first lens we ever bought yeah. for the Fuji system and it was the most simple, like, all round focal length, 35 mil in full frame. You can do pretty much most things yeah, yeah. fairly good. Yeah. You wouldn't be an expert or like you wouldn't, you wouldn't get like the banger portraits, but you'll get good portraits. Yeah. You'll get decent cinematography with it. You're not going to get the best because, but you'll get decent. The fact that, I mean, this is where people don't know about Fuji and they can write, they, try, they keep comparing it to Canon and Sony is with Fuji's autofocus, the F2 primes are built for video. Right. Their motors are actually built to get really good autofocus. So it's snappy, it's fast. It's quiet. It's super quiet. It's mm -hmm. tiny, but it's F2. But you, the benefits is that you're going to get really great autofocus. Yeah. And it's still sharp and great quality. And you still get F2 in terms of light. You might get like, what is it, like 3.2 or something in depth of field right. equivalent or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I don't even care about that. But the, what made me switch was when I tried the F23mm was... <clears throat> My Canon photos sucked with quality, sharpness, even though I was nailing it. But with the 23 mil, the focus was so snappy, so responsive. The depth of field just didn't really matter because I was getting the photos. Right. It was looking clean. It was in focus. I was getting the moments. The yeah. depth of field meant nothing if, unless you get the composition and the moments. Yeah. So when people ask me, like, why don't you have the 1.4? It's because I do video. Yep. So when people say like, why I want to go for a 1.4 or an F2, which one's better? I'm like, what are you doing? Are you doing video or are you just doing purely photos? Because if you're doing purely photos, yeah, you might as well get the extra stop of light. Autofocus isn't too big of a deal. Yeah. But with video, what kind of video are you doing? Are you doing corporate videos? Are you vlogging? If you're yeah. vlogging, maybe you, know, you need to consider the F2 because you need to have reliable autofocus. The yeah. F1.4... It can do the job, but it's not going to be as reliable. Yeah. But if you're doing like, if you're going to be manual focusing and stuff, definitely get the 1.4. Yeah. People just, they read my, my explanation as to why. And they're just like, yeah, but what's better? And I'm yeah, just yeah. like screaming internally. I just want to like. Well, what they've done is they've just looked at how many words you put in and they're just like, yeah, I just needed like, I needed you to just say like F2 or F1.4, just so I know which one's better. Like I didn't, I didn't need you to explain anything. For me, it's, it's a tool for a job. <laughs> yeah. Like mm. this tool gives me these results because it's easier to do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. So I need to make sure I'm able to achieve X, Y, Z. Yeah. The reason why mm -hmm. we've got way more F2 primes is because 
we shoot photo and video simultaneously. Yeah. If I'm doing a wedding mm-hmm. or whatever, or an event, I will snap the photos, quickly switch to video mode, keep, and I like to shoot in 120 frames because, sorry, 100 frames because we're in the UK. I keep my shot speed on 200. Mm-hmm. So when I switch over, it's automatically in 200. I don't need to like change the dials all over again. It's yeah, like, yeah. boom, changed. Press the button to record. It's recording that exact same moment, moment I took a photo of. And the autofocus is reliable and everything just is clean. It's a good workflow for me. It works nicely. Yeah. That's why we have it. I know the 1.4s are probably sharper and better. Yeah. But the F2s work for my work. And I always try to explain that to people when they're like, obviously in the Fuji groups, they're like, I think that's one of the most common questions, like 1.4 or the F2. Yeah. And I give my, I'm saying, I always say like, if you want video, here's a video example. If you want photos, here's a photo example. Yeah. And then just keep trying. I feel like they, they know what they want. They just want someone to justify it to them or enable it. I'll tell you one problem. I'm very fresh over to Fuji. So it's only been a few months. One of the genuine problems that... It, it's like it's an unintended consequence so fuji doubles up a lot of focal lengths right so you've got like mm-hmm. 23 twice 35 twice let's say the 50 and the 56 but there are two 56s as well because you've got the apd version yeah yeah mm-hmm. they double up a lot of focal lengths on primes specifically and primes at the moment they weren't like two years ago but now they are like the shit and everyone wants to be on primes mm-hmm. and there's people that have gas you know, you've got gear acquisition syndrome yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like, well, I've got a 23 and I've got a 35 and I've got the 50, I've got the 56. What's the, next? The, what's next? Like the next thing that's out of, out of the focal lengths that I've got is the, like the fucking 200 and that's five grand. So I need, I, I, like I'm fidgeting for things because that's what guys yeah. do, right? I guys, think it's you just, said earlier, yeah. guys are things. <laughs> Women generally are like people. Guys are things, right? That's what they're they're interested in. Yeah, yeah. And like they're they're fidgeting for something to scratch that itch of like I need something different. And like you say, they know the answer. They know the answer. Like they they don't even need to ask the question because they already knew the answer. But they're hoping that someone's going to tell them an excuse for them to then part with some money to buy a new toy. Bucket. Better bokeh. Bokeh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the picture's not good, but at least it's got good bokeh, so that's fine. Yeah, but it's like, that just sounds like you're using the object as a crutch for your Yeah, welcome to photography. It's like 90% of the I'm a victim of it, right? Like, you've kind of sat me down and I've been like, really? Do we need it? Why do we need it? And I think for me, it's been a ritual because once I started switching to Fuji, my work went up in terms of quality and I was getting more bookings because I was the camera enabled me to do things that I was not able to do with Canon. Right. And then as I got money like coming in from jobs, I'd be like, oh great. So a chunk of it is gonna go towards back into reinvesting into gear. Mm-hmm. Another bit's gonna go back into saving, another bit's gonna go back to rent. So you know you just do your business kind of yeah percentages and whatnot. And then I think it became a ritual of like every time I'd got a did a nice big job. I should treat myself to a new piece of gear. And then yeah. I have to like, be like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Hold up. Yeah. Like this is getting silly now. Well, it's like, why, why do you need it? And you know, what else could you invest in that isn't the camera or the gear that could make the image better? Like I, I think back to um, convincing you to properly invest in a damn good softbox light. We we're talking about this yesterday. And- oh my goodness. Like, you know, people are like, 
what's the gear I should get? What's the camera I should use? So well, a how, lens did, body? how did you Sorry, get a lens that or a camera body. Yeah. And it's like, well, how about you just develop a, a sense for what good lighting is first yeah. and foremost? Yeah. Um, like, if you're yeah. shooting in a studio, why aren't you getting like an, a good, decent, you know, lighting equipment? Or which, a really good microphone. Yeah. Cause you. Audio is the one thing I regret. Yeah. Like when I look back in photography and when I started getting money for lenses, I was buying lenses, which I never really needed. Yeah. But what I should have done, which I did know, but I thought, uh, I can get away without buying this is buy a really fucking good light and buy mm-hmm. a really good microphone. Yeah. Oh, yes. you, you're never really going to upgrade them because one, if they're good. Well, there's a, good. there's a quote, um, there's a filmmaker, I can't think who it is. And he said, I'll sit for a lot of bad visual, but I'm not sitting through bad audio. Yeah, yeah, everyone says that. Yeah. And I think I did a shoot with Will Young behind the scenes and mm-hmm. I did it behind the scenes of his music video. Yeah. And it was just when I invested in really good audio, I finally got myself like some lav mics and like some external recorders and stuff, mm-hmm. set up an interview. And I know, what was it? Jeff? Hmm? Jeff's wife? Jeff Wilkinson? <laughs> feel like an awful person for not remembering her name but i remember her face yeah jeff wilkinson is a really cool fashion photographer back in days apparently yeah he's got his own studio in one it's really cool their neighbor our neighbor yeah she was like oh i'm really surprised by the vi- the audio quality it was really nice to watch and it just mm. blew my mind i was like i'm an right. idiot i'm such an idiot i should have invested in audio when i started the yeah. money should have gone to audio should have gone to lighting like the past Two months, I finally bought like a load of continuous lights. Yeah. And it's changed the game completely. Yeah. Or Philips Hue bulbs where you can actually play with different colored lighting, which enables so much and not have to invest in like color gels and even more lights. Yeah. I can get orange and teal legitimately. Yeah. Not have to like. You create that naturally rather than artificially put it in post. You know, remembering all of those ancillary things that can make or break a photo or video that's just as important as the camera itself yeah well i think it's funny as well like you see landscape photographers or or sort of city and architecture type photographers or whatever or even i tell you my wheelhouse was portraiture for a long time i'm still obviously a portrait photographer yeah Mm. that's that's really where i was um at my strongest and you see people that will buy about two and a half three thousand pounds worth of lens two or three to five grand's worth of body and then they'll book Sharon from down the road for five quid an hour. And it's like, yeah, like you, with all due respect, you need to be the least talented person in the room when you're doing portraiture. Always. You need to be the least talented person. You need to have a really talented subject. Someone yeah. that's really not only comfortable in front of the camera, but it's great at connecting and so on. You do not want to be the one mm-hmm. that's like, no, we're over here. Like put the needle down. Like, <laughs> you know, and you see some, like England is amazing for some models that look like they'd get rejected from most Vegas brothels. <laughs> Can like, we just talk about something slightly controversial? Because we talk about it all the time, but I want to, because you're, I, we kind of connected. Because I'm controversial. No, we connected through the Fuji groups. Yes, go for it. So the oh, Fuji gosh. Facebook groups, right? Yeah. I really try to like provide value with my videos. Mm-hmm. So I really go the extra mile. I'm like, can this video help someone? Will it answer their question that's burning inside of them? Yeah, I'm getting nervous now. This is and then terrifying. I always like, I don't have any affiliate links. I try my best to keep clean. The only thing that's affiliate linked is where I get my music from, which yep, yep. is a service. So give me some slack. Let me make something out of it. Yeah. But 
I always try to post there and some people criticize my work and say, oh, this is shit. This is not street photography. Fine. Fair enough. You're okay. entitled to your opinion. Right. But when I'm scrolling from my Facebook feed, all I see is dodgy pictures of naked girls yep. on the Fuji groups. Ass and tits and ass and tits and ass and, and tits. Oh, you, you, you're not seeing that much of it, honestly. It's, it's like, making me kind of like You're seeing the very fringe of that iceberg. And I'm just like, but what? Like, I joined the Fuji groups because I was enthusiastic about yeah. Fuji. And I was like, I can't wait to like share ideas, help people. Yeah. I mean, Fuji started to get good in videos. So this is a great like new landscape for all of us to kind of like jump in and explore this. And then all I see is just ass and tits. Yeah. And it's like not even done well. Like, I believe the technical term is titties, but yes. Yeah. None of, you know, like sometimes you're like, oh, that's really cool lighting. So I give that a pass because that is really artistic. Mm-hmm. But half the time, it's just like, there's no composition. It's no. out of focus. Like if you take away the attractive person, yeah, if put, the, the, subje- person, the subjectively attractive person yeah. in this image, then you've literally got nothing. You got nothing. Yeah. And then Chloe as a girl, I'm sure has hundreds <sighs> of things to chime in on about. Uh, there's <laughs> not really anything new that I can add that hasn't been said before. But I think one of the most depressing things about that situation is, you know, you have some female photographers or some level-headed male photographers on there who are saying like, Hey, you know, where's the artistry in this? What is the point of this? Can yeah. we, can we see, see more creativity in there? And then all of these like incels are here like, Ooh, why are you <laughs> hating on my photo? Like you, why can't I appreciate something beautiful? Or, you know, you're just jealous <laughs> that you're not as hot. Like the, the amount of vitriol that is put, against you know people who try to challenge that disgusting norm it's well, no wonder that a lot generally of speaking animals get the most aggressive when they're cornered hey, that like, is true you know what my funniest like <coughs> the thing that really bugs me i love the miticon 35 yeah 0.95 because yep. that bokeh is just incredible you have a guy who has a girl in the kitchen against the wall and then in the description put shot on the miticon 35 mil, 0.95. I'm like, many depths, such a wow. Yeah, so, like, I get what you're trying, you're trying to justify this photo because you use this lens, which is, it's kind of like, it's got an edge. It's kind of everyone, kind of, no one really has it. So, it's really in demand and people are curious to see what it looks like. Yeah. But you use that lens that is weakest potential. Mm. You put it, a girl, in a, against the wall and there's no depth of field. Lamborghini plowing a field. It's like putting a Lamborghini on a residential road and going at two miles an hour. Like, oh no, 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 not residential road, central London, <coughs> where it's traffic jams. And you just you just revving for the sake <laughs> of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put a naked girl up against it. And That's it's, what and it's doing. still like yep. it's in black and white or sepia, and it just looks not tasteful. Let's not go with sepias. Yeah. A moment of silence for sepia. I'm just going to cough really badly. For a go second. for it. I've been fighting illness. But the Fuji colors. <laughs> yeah, why does Fuji put sepia in the camera? I, I that's, no that's, let's have a word with Fuji on that one. Like, I want stop to. encouraging that kind of behavior. Nostalgia. I like no, what, no, I like what you said. It. For shitty Photoshop. When you, you were talking about the functionality of the Fuji camera, like, just get rid of like some of the buttons. Yeah. Just have like, what's this whole advanced? ADV or whatever it is. Right. And then mm. you have like this bracketed and all that stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't care. I don't want that. I, want, I just want well, photos I, I said when I was on Canon, like I got asked, okay, so, so signature guitars is a thing. Mm. 
You have an artist. I have a guitar. I, I play guitar. Yeah. I okay. Used to, so you I used know, to be in a metal band. Right. So you know, there's plenty of those. Yeah. Like loads of metal signature guitars. And they'll say to the artist, you know, what is it that you're, you know, you what, what is the functionality of your guitar? What do you wish it had? What do you wish it didn't? And so on. And then they bring out. A, I mean, a lot of the time, it's just sticking a sticker on the headstock and selling it under, under someone's name. Yeah. Like, oh, you really want these strings mm. to work well with this fretboard, and you love that fretboard, but you love that string, and never been on one guitar together. Exactly. So it's it's just about bringing a load of features together and and so on. And I was asked. That's positive. <laughs> I was asked when I was on. Um, when I was on Canon, what the, uh, what my signature, um, camera would be. And I said, well, I would take, for me, yeah, I would take all video function out. Yep. Right. Cause I don't use it. Yep. I, for, I would rather have one that does video, same form factor and everything. And one that does photo mm. for me. Yeah. Because that's what you, you so, know. so I'd have no video, take that function out. And now with all of that buffer space that's available and the, the processing power that's now available to that camera, push all of the other photographic features as hard as you can, the frames per second, all of that mm. stuff, just push that and simplify the button layout. And I don't want loads of gimmicks. I don't want like, oh yeah, well it has like a, a tilt shift effect type thing. I don't care. I don't want it. No one, no one's, the only time you use it is when you go through your menu and you're like, what's that do? And you take a picture of your coffee and you go, <laughs> oh, and then you turn it off and you never go back to it. We've done do that hundreds of times. <clears throat> yeah. This, this guy is guilty of having, um, one, two, three, three and a half coffee making videos. I limited the, like, I genuinely love coffee. No, I'm not knocking yeah. the coffee in itself, but I mean the, the feature on your camera. I know, I know. You're not actually like your 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 coffee making videos. You're not using the miniature version of what the Fuji can do, or you're not using yeah. like sepia. Just take take all the nonsense out, strip it all back. You know, Nikon, God bless them. They came close to doing it a few years ago when they had the DF. Yeah. it was called, and it was like sort of like old school styling, and they stripped back a lot of features. Awesome. Just do that with. A camera, because you're limiting the features and the amount of research and development that's going into it, you can lower the price on it, which means you can mm. you can literally turn out more units. A lot of happier customers. Yeah, well, it's being honestly, more user user centered, right? Like you you understand the many different niches of audiences that you're catering to, rather than trying to cater to everyone them, at once. Exactly, and you could never make everybody happy, and that's why. No. You know, Canon releases the 1DX Mark III yeah. and people that literally never have a chance of owning one. And if they did, they wouldn't know what to do with it. You know why I have an X-T3? Go on. Because it's literally, I've said this to many people and they've agreed and they're like, oh yeah, it's basically a 1DX Mark II. Right. With a crop sensor cap. Crop sensor. Well, it's got the frame, I guess it's got like the the video features and it's got, got the, the video features, got everything. frames per second. It's just not a bulky beast with a load of batteries in it. I and also think you probably would struggle to beat someone to death of an XT3 in quite the same way that you could with a 1DX. Yeah. But, but th that's the thing. Like, I love photo and video. I want something that will do it all. Mm -hmm. It will not be the best at one particular thing, but it will do pretty much most things genuinely all right. Yeah. And you can just take that camera and you can rely on that camera. Well, my mm -hmm. switch to Fuji just came down to Canon was... I can see the end of the road with Canon. Genuinely, oh, yeah. I can see an end of the road. Yeah. There's only so much money you can piss up a wall before people that are smarter that run the accounts go, right, we're pulling the plug on this. There's only so much money you can piss up a wall. You pissed yeah. up 10 years on the M range 
That was a shame, man. They could have really done some amazing. But they never, they never, they they were one one foot in, one foot out on it the whole time they had it, and it's still going now. And they're still like releasing. It's like they've got more bodies. I still recommend it because people are like people who have never used a camera before, but when I get into vlogging, they're like, "What do I get?" And I'm like, "Hmm, I need to recommend something that's really simple, really simple to use. You literally just turn it on, maybe one two button here, and then you can vlog, and it's affordable." Canon M50 kind of. It's good enough where people don't get confused. Yeah, but are you really going to turn half of your research and development into finding something that that's the best thing you can say about it? Yeah. When you look at what they were producing. Well, this is the thing. Like I said, I was so disappointed with the 6D and then I got the 60 Mark II. Granted, I could start vlogging, but then I was crippled with like the features. And then I kind of felt disrespected when they were like, release a camera and then be like, no, we're not giving you that feature. Right. Even though we can, but we're not. With Fuji, they're like, We've developed all these cool features. Hey, everyone, just take it. Well, the problem as well with Canon is like with the release of the EOS R. Oh God! Right, there's 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 plenty of good in that camera. I I don't see a lot of it, but there is plenty of good in that camera. But look at the angle that they advertised it from. One of the one of the actual genuine Canon UK ways of approaching convincing people to buy that camera was that it weighs something like sixty grams less than the sixty. Right. Thing is, we but then <laughs> because you've got a, a an improve an increased flange distance, and you have to have so much more glass in place yep. to to move all of that glass, the extra flange distance it's completely unweighted. Yep. The cost of the lens is through the roof. Yep. And the weight saving that you're giving me on the body, which you're not, I'm losing three times over minimum on the lens, and I'm paying a premium for it. And at the end of it, I've only got one fucking card to record to. Yeah. So you've taken away what I would call a, a pretty significant pro feature is the ability to have redundancy. You're charging me more for it. And then you're telling me that I should be thankful because, you know, although you've only cut off part of my right leg, you've cut off all of my left leg. It's just. Yeah, they they lost me there. As soon as the news of that was released, I was just like, I Oh, but I it's okay because really like they've corrected it now because you've got the RA, which is the astrology, ast- astronomy, astrology, astrology, astrology. As holery. The, the sky stuff, they've got, a modi- stuff. <laughs> they've got a modified version of the camera for that. It's like, oh good, that's going to really cover all of the complaints people had about that. So one thing I heard all the time was Canon users going, I love this camera and all of the features it's missing, but I just wish it was better at taking pictures of stars for the nine people in England that do that, who all live no. in Wales. How about come back down to earth and realize like, that was a good pun, by the way. That was nice. I appreciate what you just did there. She's really you. good. Yeah. I got you. But yeah, like come back down to earth and look at your customers. Yeah. Like I, I used to be a loyal Canon user, and yeah. I was very keen. We still kind of are. Like we, I still love their glass. I'm keeping some of it because. Well, one of it. Two. Well, but that's a Sigma. That's a third party lens. That's a Lexus, man. That's a beautiful lens. Yeah, yeah. We'll get back to that. Um, yeah. but Canon. Like, you know, I, I was a hobbyist for the longest time and, you know, I did love how in the past all of their cameras were very easy to use, were very easy to, to pick up, but I struggled so much with the size and then they kept taking features away. And then they throw this thing in my face with an astronomical price. Again, very good pun. Again, absolutely horrendous. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just... 
not rich enough. I'm just not good enough for them. Yeah. No, like put in this perspective, right? We got a Fuji X-T2. I got it for you as a gift for like Christmas, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were like, holy shit, this takes way better pictures. Right. I was, because yeah. I had a guy in um, Germany. He was with photography buddies and he was messaging me on Instagram, be like, check out Fuji. And I was like, eh, they ain't that big like Canon. So why should I right. follow that system? Follow as in like some disciple. I mean, like, you know, just try it out. <laughs> and then we tried the, and she was like flirting with Fuji and I was like, no, full frame, right? Even she though was I trying to get to the head of the cult by flirt, flirting with the head of the cult. <laughs> and I was just like, to be fair, right? I know people say full frame is all good enough, but I really can't no. see the difference half the time. What good is full frame if you're not going to bring out the camera you know, day to day because it's too damn big. I'm, I'm getting top of the line, the best APS-C on the market mm-hmm. compared to getting the cheapest entry level full frame. I think I'd much rather go for the best top of the line APS-C ever made right? rather than an entry level full frame. Well, and a camera, an APS-C camera that you're willing to take out and actually use like in the field. My yeah. work as a business has increased so much because I've had so much opportunity to try out new ideas, new techniques, new things. Yeah. And just to put it into perspective, like my main point was we have like how many primes between us? Maybe like five or six. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Prime lenses with the 56, like 335 mils. <laughs> I have 335 mils. You're not, you, there's no shame here. You're yeah. Fine. I mean, they're all different. They're all completely different lenses. Right. And I have the 216 mils because they're two different lenses right. and I've got the 23. And we have a Sigma. And I think I've got a Canon 135 mil just for the... Yeah, I've, I've got my old Canon 135 Because you can mil. put it on the Fuji and it's 200 mil. I probably never will, but it's just my baby. I, I've got I it in my bag. I'll show it to you if you want. Nice. I and like it for bird watching. Yeah, but because we, we have like a balcony. Pervert. Huh? Pervert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, London's like down Yeah, see. Yeah. But, oh, to, to offer like a, a counterpoint. Sorry, let because, me just... Oh, no, sorry. Crack on. Yeah, on. the reason why I was mentioning it, I'm not to, not to flex, but... Let's say I got a 1DX Mark II yeah. and I got like two nice lenses. That's mm-hmm. like almost 10 grand, mm-hmm. right? All my Fuji gear would probably be about six grand. And yeah. I've got like nearly all the Fuji glass there already is. Yeah. So for that amount of money, I literally have the whole ecosystem to my disposal. Yeah. With Canon, I'd probably just afford like one or two lenses and I'll be like still crippled because I would need to buy the cinema line if I want to get the video feature with autofocus, but I can't have it. I can only have it with like some other frame rate and it's just like confusing. Like why do yeah. that? <laughs> Good I, I, luck with the mortgage after that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the counterpoint I had with Fuji for the longest time, firstly, and I, I still see it a lot. I mean, you're talking about problems in the group with. Perverts. Yeah. The TNA brigade, but. Bird the, watchers. The, yeah. With the bird watchers. The problem I actually had with Fuji, I, I, I couldn't stand for the longest time how they marketed. Oh, um, I remember you said the uh, Fuji graph or something. I never heard that, but then I yeah. kind of, it kind of makes sense. I've had a few people say it to me that they're like, like I've posted stuff in groups and they're just like, oh, really cool Fuji graph. I'm just like, please don't. I'm going to throw up. But like they had, they paid Zach Arias to make a video talking about sensor sizes and how it didn't matter. That's fine. You want to do that? That's fine. Honestly, I don't care. Freedom of speech and all of that. But then they release a medium format and it's like, see, now you look silly because now you're saying this does something different to crop but we paid someone to tell you that there's no difference. Mm. That's where they annoyed me. Mm. It's like they attacked. When someone doesn't like something that you do, don't waste your time on them. Mm -hmm. Talk about what you're good at. Enjoy what you do. 
focus on that. And I just felt like as a marketing campaign, it was a really stupid idea, especially if if Fuji ever did decide under different direction to go full frame, it would be like, oh, wait. And then they did it with medium format. So it's like, okay, so you kind of contradict yourself there. The other thing they did, especially Fuji UK was they would have, and this was before YouTube photography was a right, really big okay. thing, was they would have relatively famous photographers who ran like workshops who weren't like on youtube on its own um, Ambassador, do right. videos and be like oh hey i'm just out here using my fuji and it's and it's not a paid endorse or like they would try and allude to it not being a paid endorsement but it's like but you're on the site as one of their endorsees this video has no purpose beyond you selling the product just be a bit more honest about it because yeah. it just feels a little bit false. That was always my counterpoint with Fuji. The reason I ended up with them was that with Canon, firstly, like I say, I could see the end of the road. But one of the big problems I had was I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Yeah. So I photograph yeah. about 70 weddings a year in that ballpark. And then I do um, portfolio shoots for agency models, headshot sessions and stuff like that. And the camera, as much of a tool as it is, had become completely disconnected to me. Like I just... I'm was, yeah, I'm sure you do it. You you got into it in the beginning because you must have found some kind of fulfillment from it, right? Yeah, and and the actual the end product's always been the thing for me. There's right. a lot of photographers who I think are the bird watchers mm-hmm. that really like the shoot more than the shot. Like they're around a person, you know, <sighs> someone's come to their house, they're in mm. their basement with their lamp on, taking pictures of some terrified whatever. Like there are a lot of people <sighs> that shoot for the shoot, not for the shot. I've yeah. never been big on shooting for the shoot. Like the end product's always the thing for me. And there was never a major issue with image quality with Canon. No, no. I never, I never like personally had a major issue, Mm -hmm. but I just wasn't excited to pick up a camera on my day off or I wasn't excited when it was like, like those days where you're like, the job's not that exciting, but I get to use, I never, I didn't have that anymore. So I tried out the, uh, I'd had an X-T2 a few years ago. And I went to San Francisco and I had honestly the worst time of my life. Pretty, I remember listening to that story, yeah. Pretty close to the worst time of my life. Like Oof. between the food poisoning and San Francisco being just a human shithole and honest to God. I, yeah, it's, I agree. It's the worst place in America. They should just chip that thing away and push it off into the ocean. Ouch. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I had the X-T2 and I, I took out like the 56 mil and an 18 mil. Gotcha. Whatever else I took. And I loved using it, but like the images when I got back. Now I was judging images where I was literally like dying of food poisoning. Mm. So obviously I'm not concentrating particularly hard and all of that. That was that was a big issue. I come around to try the XT3. I find the image jump is is huge. Yeah. Um, and I'm just enjoying using the camera again. That's the main thing. It's just to enjoy using the camera again. And it's like pushed me to now start this new project with street photography which is going to be like wildly different for me in the sense of like, I have to find a reason to take the picture. Like weddings, mm. there's a, there's a pre-designed idea of what you're well, supposed yeah, the to be product, doing. Right? You need to nail that. I've product. always had a brief yeah. in front of me. Like it's very easy brief when you do portrait photography, you know what you're taking a picture. Yeah. Your subject is pre-designed mm-hmm. when you're doing a wedding, your subject is pre-designed street photography. You're like, there might be a thing happen here. Like I'm going to, and if it doesn't, I have to like stay motivated to then find the next place where it could potentially unfold or like build up an idea and mm. understanding. I'm like, it's almost like stripping away any understanding I have of, 
of putting together a shoot and starting again. I see it as yeah. a way of like making something boring and mundane and trying to turn it into something exciting or like meaningful. Yeah. Cause that's like, I think that's what YouTube inspired me to do. Like, obviously we spoke about the bad side of YouTube, which is like people shelling out and just like making things look better than what it is. And it's all bollocks and stuff, Yeah, which is the truth. But on the flip side, on the good side of it is also like there are people out there who've made stuff in their bedroom, which is basically boring. And they've actually made it into something exciting with yeah. their personality, with the editing, with the all, you know, all those kind of like ingredients. And I find that to be kind of, that's creativity right there. Yeah. Like you have some, you only have like, like going back to, you only have like two variables, make something happen out of it. Yeah. And most people would be like, uh, fuck this. Yeah. But we, we kind of go the extra mile and we're like, actually, all right, I've only got the 56 today. What can I get out of it today? What can I, when I come home, I, I, I have something I didn't have before. Yeah. And I think that's for me why street photography is fulfilling because it could be a really boring day. I could just stay home all day and watch Netflix, but I went for a walk, but I exercised and I came back with a sixth photo that could have meaning, not just to me, but for someone else. Like yeah. the, Jeff Wilkinson, for example, his um, gallery. Mm. And he was, he was talking to me about why his street photography, like he prints all the street photography he has on the gallery and he, it sells, sells really well. And I was like, how, like, what, how do you determine your photo sells? Because street photography is so subjective. Yeah. It's so painfully subjective, right? Like I get people that will like hate me or love me. Yeah. And like how, what determines if it's good or not. Mm -hmm. And he simply said like, they could, I took a picture of a bus stop and it could be really well composed and stuff and no one would buy it. But then someone would come along and buy it because that's the bus stop they used to go to work every day. Right. And I made it look pretty. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. why they bought it. That's yeah. why they parted with money for that photo. Yeah. Do you think our interest with like street photography and I mean, everything's being politicized now and, and everyone's got to constantly have an opinion on like yeah. how something's offensive or how to, you know, whatever it is that like everything has to be politicized. I find it quite taxing. Like you can't just visit family. You have to have a political conversation. You can't just go and work somewhere. Someone has to bring up something to do with politics. And <laughs> right, so right, right. Do you think that there's a responsibility with um, street photography to kind of not just tell one side of a story? So like I know mm. um, a few people that have photographed the protests and um, like the extinction protests in London. Right. And they, the one person that's going to be listening to this, it's not you. Like I know one of them listens to these and it's not him that I'm talking about. So I don't get an email later telling me that I'm a bastard. But one of them basically told me outright that they didn't get the, it wasn't as expected. So they, so. The, it, the, the protest wasn't as expected. It was, it wasn't as peaceful as they wanted it to be. And it didn't oh. put the people that they supported in a good light. So he photographed it very differently. And do you mm. think that there's like a bit of a responsibility from a street photography point of view to kind of be honest with the story that you're telling, or is it your job to kind of pick out your narrative? Well, that that's starts to border on journalism. journalism. Yeah. Like to yeah. me, that's like journalism because you are recording a, an event, right? not a mundane, boring day. Right. So you see a difference. Then. I see it like event photography. Like when I, I did a YouTube video, which was very controversial, mm -hmm. you know, I have to go 
last year, right? With the racist protest march. Oh, the stand up to racism. Stand up to racism march. march. It was something I believed in because I'm, multi, you know, I'm a hybrid and I'm, I'm Muslim <laughs> as well. Right. You're a hybrid. I'm a hybrid. Okay. Yeah. And you, I'm Muslim. You run on electric and petrol. It's good to so know. So I, I felt quite strongly about it. I was like, you know, I, I feel like this is a great cause and I want to mm. bring light to it and I want to make it look beautiful. So I'm going to film it and just at the end of it, I'm going to give context as to why I filmed it, mm. what it means to me. Yeah. And so you guys understand why I did it and you can take it for what it is. Yeah. Make up your own opinion after. Yeah. And that's what I did. And it was very controversial. Yeah. A lot of people got upset and you posted into the Fuji groups. And I remember people were like, oh, this is supposed to be a hobbyist group. Like, don't make it all political. And then there was like one other guy who was like, oh, this guy is anti-Trump. He shouldn't be allowed on here. Report. And people were like, wait, how is this anti-Trump? And he's like, oh, well, in frame, you know, Two 58 seconds, there's someone with an anti-Trump sign. He actually went out and wow. it was his way to screenshot it. Had a busy day then. Clearly. Yeah. My, my intention, I put my intentions out there as well. Like, why did I shoot it? What it meant for me and stuff. Yep. So I try to keep it very neutral. Yeah, but that's kind of answering my question then. Right. So you, you felt obliged or you felt it was necessary for you to point out what your dog in that fight was. Well, so at speak. least give context. Yeah, that's what I'm it. saying though, is, is that if, if you're going to, I can see it being street photography more than journalism in the sense that it depends what the end product I mean, is for. My yeah. style of the video was my street style, if you will. Like it was my kind of like run and gun urban kind of like video mm -hmm. videography. My, mm -hmm. my photography was kind of had that like journalism kind of vibe to it. It was just my Harris style to it, yep. which I've been developing over the years. But because it was something that was political and I know that it affects people emotionally, I felt that I had an obligation to at least give context as to why I did it. With mm. street photography, oops. Fine. With street photography, I feel like I don't need to give an explanation of why I think that was good. Yeah. Of course you can. Like I can say like when I did my 23 mil, I was like, if I'm going to give a behind the scenes, I need to explain why do I like the way that looks? Yeah. Why did I change it? Why did I go low? Why did I try another shoot? Why did I find it aesthetically pleasing to me? But at the end of the day, you don't have to, as long as you like it, you like it. But because this is something political and it's public, public, it involves religion, ethnicities, and, you know, people standing up for something or not standing up for something. I feel like you need to kind of give context as to why you're getting involved. Why yeah. did you feel, feel compelled to? I think you've, it? I don't think you realize you've answered my question though. Like you actually gave a, gave a, a, a side okay. because if you were to, what I'm, what my, I think maybe I didn't ask my question the best possible way, but if you are to present an image yeah. without context and you, so you say you intimate to me that. No, that, but the thing was like, I knew that shoot was, ha I knew that parade, the march was happening well in advance. Right. So my intention was to go there and shoot it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm out here. Like, okay, I guess probably what his intention was to go and shoot the extension rebellion. Right. I, just, I don't know whether or not they were just out doing, they do street photography in general. So they might literally have just been in London. Because there's a different, I feel like there's a slight different, like there could be a different, I, I, there could be another argument where like, I'm doing street photography. This happens in Regent Street all the time because I worked at Apple in Regent Street. Mm -hmm. And like every Saturday for some fucking reason, there's always some kind of march going on. Yeah. And I'm out, out at lunchtime and I'm just got my food and I'm just doing like candid street photography. Yeah. Then all of a sudden this parade happens out the blue. I'm like, all right, well, I'm taking photos of this because this is very interesting. So you're saying like the intention beforehand. 
I feel like that has a lot to do. Well, if that if you do have an intention beforehand, you need to know. You need to make it very clear what your intention is. Yeah. Otherwise, well, that's what I think. I think if you present, so if 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 I didn't present the knowledge that this person said to me, like it wasn't really, like it wasn't particular. I was going. He basically went there with the idea that there's these bad police and good protesters. This was his preconceived idea of what he had. Mm. Okay, said. cool. And when he got there, a lot of the images he was getting were Opposite. bad apples in the protesting group lashing out at police. And you can't frame that in any way other than that's a protester. It is what it was. Hitting a policeman or whatever. Yeah. And he said to me that his problem with that was that that didn't give him the end product he wanted. So he changed the way he photographed it to give a different story. And the images mm. that he put out gave a different story. And I think to me, journalism would be more a case of where the images end up. Because if you mm. show me a picture when you're out and about and you're like, oh, I was, I was down the road and there was a fight and you show me that, I don't see that as being news. That's you showing me a picture that you took of something that happened. That's still street photography. Whether someone's doing something mundane or there's something actually happening there, it's only journalism if it ends up with some form of source that is then going to be a conduit for everyone else seeing it. My problem is, is when someone deliberately says, or not saying my problem, but my question is when someone will privately say, I had a different intention than what I ended up with. Mm. And I had to photograph this to make it look the way I wanted it to. As a street photographer, Uh, regardless of like, if we take the politics out of it, do you think your job as a street photographer is to make something look as good as possible? and maybe not give the context of how you've got to that point or as bad as possible and not give the context or whatever. Mm. You know, it's like Fang, was it Fang Ho? Fan Ho had the image with the, the diagonal line and there was no shadow. He burnt the shadow in. And that's always been a controversial thing of like, there wasn't really a person there. He had his cousin go and stand there. And then he had this shadow added in post. So the whole photo essentially is photoshopped before Photoshop. Mm. And there's a lot of ethics behind Photoshop. There's also got to surely be a lot of ethics behind how you show something. Well, I think Mm. this goes back into like what we talk about. What is street photography? What is street photography? And also... Uh, this kind of touches upon, you know, photography theory, like the degree of quote unquote objectivity right. in an image. Um, I think journalism in its original intention was to be as objective as possible. To record to, what's happening, To record right? what's happening, show and both sides. And be unbiased, blah, blah, blah. Which unfortunately- It's very flavored these days, unfortunately. It is very flavored these days, but when was it ever not flavored? Because we- Every photographer comes with their own mental lens mm-hmm. and filters, and what dictate what what um, in well, their the only minds. Way I guess is it could be the only way it could be unflavored is if the the person recording is ignorant to what the issue is. Yeah, it's the only way. Like they don't they don't know what the information that they need to be able to be biased yeah. is the but, only possible way. But then um, similarly, like okay, so some person who is not in the midst of, you know, a community or a culture or something going on. They're not in any way part of it. They're just kind of observing it from afar. But is that any, is their depiction any more true than someone who's actually on the ground, who is experiencing all of this? Like, does that, does that, does their truth, Mm -hmm. is that any less than the person observing from afar? 
Right. You, you understand you're into I mean? like blind men and the elephant kind of territory where you've got, yeah, yeah. you've got like the different interpretations of the same thing can actually both be right and both contradict each other. Exactly. And um, I, I think the problem is when one claims to be the other. Like if someone yeah. is obviously biased, but they claim to be as objective as possible or they come into something and they're just like, oh, I just want to show the other side. Yeah. It, you, I mean, the... The integrity is, you know, everyone's open to being questioned on it. But yeah. I think having that honesty of what are you going there for? What is this being used for? What's motivating this? I think just having an honesty of that, I think, could alleviate a lot of the the misassumptions. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I'm trying to think like if that was me, what you just told me, like mm -hmm. that context, I right here, right now, I don't know what I would do. Because if if my intention was to showcase um, people who are really caring about the environment, really standing up for it, and I go there and then I see like a minority of like a couple of people doing the opposite and actually vandalizing the streets or whatever, which I have seen because I worked on Regent Street while it was going on. Yeah. I only quit like back in September. Right. And I saw people, you know, like it smell of piss. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to joke. Like, it well, was if disgusting. you ever want to see an environmental protest when everyone leaves and they've left all of their cardboard and their paper on the floor, that's usually the funniest thing. Is like, that's, yeah, it, that's it, like the perfect picture of irony. It was really mm. ironic for yeah. me. I, it really pissed me off because yeah. I was like, I don't see how this is helping your case. Yeah. Nonetheless, the cause I agree with. Like, I mm -hmm. agree with the cause. I agree with the message. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the way you guys going about it, a few people are ruining for you. Yeah. And, Obviously, if I care about the message, I want to make sure that if I record your message, I want to shine in the best light possible. And if it didn't go to plan, maybe don't, maybe I don't know what I would do. Maybe I would, I probably wouldn't have, probably I just won't share it. Did mm. he end up sharing it or not? Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if I would share it. Actually then. got published, which wasn't his intention either. That's the oh. thing, right? Yeah. That's where it becomes different to <laughs> that's me. It. I don't know what I would do. But I, I didn't want to give that information before I got to. So like, I honestly don't know mm. what I'd do. I would probably wait. I'd probably speak with Chloe. I'd probably contemplate. I'd ask my family and friends mm -hmm. because my intention is to help these people get their message across. And if it's not happening, but then again, I'm kind of conflicted. Number one, if you're in doubt, speak to people who are more not more knowledgeable than you and try and find like a, a good consensus Yeah. rather than just jumping in. I'm sure he did his best research. He spoke to you and stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I'm sure he spoke to more than just one of yeah. his friends. He spoke to people that would give him an actual like honest opinion. Yeah. So I'm sure like he did what was right for him and fair play. Like, but then again, like it, it, it is tough. Like, I, I, I think we're past the point. In a lot of things, I mean, I want to bring this from being too heavy, but I think we're past the point really with people constantly preaching morality at each other. And it should just come down to if we could all just kind of keep our own garden clean. Yeah. And I don't mean environmentally, I mean like, you know, in general. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. general, if we could just keep our own spot clean, everything would move forward a lot better than if we constantly worry about what the person next to us is doing or trying to correct the person next to us. Let's move this away from being heavy. We're going to start to circle around wrapping this up. It's been really wonderful yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. in. What's the plans for YouTube? Do you have any interesting stuff coming up? I think just continue what I'm doing. I'm enjoying the process. Um, like I like I said, how you look over at Chloe for like <laughs> validation on she's, that. She's I think, like, look, whatever video I do, yeah, it gets thoroughly checked by Chloe. Right. Like mm -hmm. she, she has the final, final eyes on it. Like the, the whole intention behind my YouTube was, I didn't know how to do a video. 
I'm tr trying to get better at photography. This could be my gateway to do it without having to spend too much money, even yep. though I ended up spending money on gear and stuff. But yeah, but break a few eggs. It's a business investment. Yeah, it was a, it was a way for me to fail without any consequences. Right. I can try and make a video. If it's not great, cool. I'll just make another one. Yeah. And I keep making another one, and eventually you get good at it, and eventually maybe I can start building a name for myself as a photographer and actually get to do cool photography work. And yeah. it's starting to materialize in that way. So I'm just going to continue sharing my experience, making videos which are fun and share our adventures and mm -hmm. whatever people want to see. Cause I, I like feedback. I like, like, what do you, what would you like to see? I would definitely, I mean, I like the course you're on. I would, I think it would be very interesting to see you kind of to do a video where you have like a pre-designed idea. So in terms of street photography, I'm not well-versed enough to give you too good of an idea of this, but to have like a destination in mind and a particular theme or narrative for it. And oh then, gosh, yeah. And then go and photograph it and see like, and to go through what you got and say, okay, like this mm -hmm. one was close, but this person is in the wrong spot or, you know, this color's distracting or whatever, but this is as close as I got to the, like there was, I, you give yourself a brief, you go out, you try it, and then you talk about cool. the, the results and stuff like that. I have so many briefs in my notes. I think that's why he was looking at me because I have, in our conversations, like I like to keep track of some of the things that kind of pop up. Yeah. Um, one of those thematic videos, I keep, I've been pushing this for a while, like just fun, poetic things like, oh, let's show your audience like how to do time lapses maybe on the actual Greenwich Mean timeline or like right. near the Royal Observatory where time was birthed, you know, just right, fun, right. So, fun so it's like, like a thematic point to yeah. the, the tutorial kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I think, and there's always going to be, if you put like a piece of gear in the title of a video, you're just going to add 50% viewership. Like that's, that's low hanging fruit. Even if you don't want it to be. Unfortunately, that's the only way, like when I first, I'm going to be honest here. Like mm -hmm. people might agree, this, might not like it, but I was really like trying really hard to make videos mm -hmm. and trying to like get some kind of like noise or feedback from my videos because yeah. it, it wasn't getting many views for the first year. And I realized it was my SEO search engine optimization. Right. So like on Google, if, if I put something like I'm not Peter McKinnon where something bad really happened and then you're going to sit there and watch yeah. As my brother quote that, unquote that says. That level clickbait stuff. Right? Like you, you click Finally on it. Finally saying goodbye. And then and you it's like, like, he got rid of his shoes. Right. Yeah, like, or yeah. he's in the forest running around with a 1DX and on, on his thing. Yeah. Oh, I spilled my coffee. Oh no. Yeah. Which works for him because he can justify that title because he has a There's going to be a, a, a significant portion of people find their way to yeah. it anyway. And plus they want to watch him because they want to watch him. Yeah. They don't care about the photography anymore. They want mm -hmm. to watch him. Yeah. With me, I realize that I'm nobody right now. So mm -hmm. why would you want to watch me? But if I can get to do what I want, which might be like cooking a recipe together, or maybe <laughs> going out there and doing some street photography or something, but you get to see the gear that I'm using in an authentic manner. Yeah. And that helps you find me and then decide if you want to stick around with my journey or not. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what helped get my channel a bit more noise. Now, some people out there are doing strictly gear reviews. Yeah. 
And I'm trying to steer away from that because yeah. oh, I'm not knocking you for it at all. It's, it wasn't intended as no, a no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just. Giving- I, I think with your style of, um, your style of like, pres- I don't know, is it? Would I say presenting? Yeah, is that all right? Your style of presenting and and the format your video takes. I think having like a 12, 15 minute long video where you like talk about what a brief is, what gear you're going to take, you go out and you do the BTS of the shoot, and then you come back and you talk about the images that you got and why they did or didn't work. That would be quite interesting. I think quite a lot of the problem with YouTube is that it's it's very aimless. Like they, there's a, not yours, but in general, there's mm. people that go out, the shooting yep. side of it, they go out with no clear intention that's given across to the audience. They shoot and then they'll show you their best picture. And it's like, awesome. I could have just seen the picture and nothing else has been given to me. But you me. see what I mean? This is where YouTube helps me to become better at my work. Right. Because I'm doing what people should be doing at university. Right. I'm having a brief. I'm going out there. This is my thesis, but mm-hmm. as a video, I'm making a video on my thesis yeah. every fucking week. Like you're going to have to get good at it eventually. Right. It's the whole idea yeah. of like, you spend like how many hours, like hundred thousand hours or 10,000 10, hours 10, to master something. Yeah. yeah like, like the- do you see what I mean? Like mm-hmm. with Chloe helping me and giving me these like guidelines, that's where I find YouTube valuable. Yeah. If you follow this format, and you document your work, like the whole Gary V thing. I'm sure you probably yeah. must have come across this content. The guy's everywhere. But he's always like having people ask him, like, what do I make videos about? It's like, document your journey. Like, what are you up to? Stop flexing, but like have a, ne- a goal mm. and show how you're working towards it. Yeah. People are curious to see that because they will take something from that and learn it and maybe use it. Like, I know a guy called Reggie B. You probably come up. He's on the yeah, Fiji. Reggie yeah, 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 yeah. Like we we talk all the time. Yeah, and he does wedding photography and stuff. But he likes to ask me a lot of questions about like how do you do your B roll? How do you shoot that? And I'm telling him, and he's like, "Can you just make a video about it?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, maybe I maybe I could." Right. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, don't tell. Sure, don't tell. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm like, ah, I get it now. What every movie doesn't do anymore. Oh, Basically, yeah. and it helps me to become better as a storyteller as an artist, mm. as, I mean, I have this big gripe with photography and filmmaking because people just want to blow up the background and make pretty stuff, yeah. which is great. But in the business model, you are explaining a process, yeah. someone's brand, you are explaining the story. Mm-hmm. And if you don't nail that, your video is worthless. Yeah. So having to remind yourself that and follow that format, you could make a video on anything and make it look good. Making things look good is, the easy part. We can all buy nice lenses, yeah. get the autofocus correct, make it look pretty, get the right shooting F-log, have great dynamic range, match Hollywood quality. But actually trying, like, that's used to help tell the story. But yeah. actually learning as you, because coming from a background which is not very, like, you know, we're not professionals by any means. Right. But you end up getting professional because you're able to, you know, well, as my professor parameters. always said, like the only difference between an amateur and a professional is just a professional is confident enough to ask to be paid for their work. Yeah. That's really all it is. There's a, there's the terrible idea of your ability to do something is like, if you're a professional, you must be good. At, like is, is, is like a level like professional is good and amateur is bad. There are plenty of people that don't want to be paid or don't have the, the personality to ask for that money mm-hmm. who are producing amazing stuff. And there are plenty of people that are just obnoxious shits that have asked for money their whole life who could call themselves professional, but ha- have no 
quality to the work that they're producing. It's not yeah. a level of how good you are. It's, I, I, I'm not a fan. It's, a, there's, it's an Americanism of saying like something looks professional. Mm. I'm not a fan of that way of thinking because no. what you're actually saying in technicalities is that looks like it was paid for mm. in, in technicalities, which like if you ever go mm. to a pound shop, everything in there was made by a professional. Yeah, no one, no one in there made that shit as a hobby. Yeah, someone was paid to make that shit. Yeah, there was a purpose. Yeah, like just to give you a quick example, I made that video about the B roll. Yeah, I made two of them. I think there was one before the the latest one, and it was of a guy called Sean LDV, fitness guy, mm-hmm. and he had a really clear brief, which was I want to make. He gave me a few examples. Like, I want to make a fitness video because I'm developing my fitness brand. Yeah, and I was like, cool, I'm on board, but why? What are we showing? What are we, what we music we're using? And we kind of like had loads of disagreement. I went back and forth for ages on what music we, sh- we should use. Right. You remember, right? Yeah. But, and then it's like, well, is it really about the music? Is it really about like this little thing or that? Like, oh, it's not like aggressive enough. It's not blah, blah, blah enough. It's like, well, what are you trying to achieve? You are a fitness business. You are trying to get clients who want to be fit. So if so, from a stylistic point of view, why are you marketing to other fit dudes? Shouldn't right. you be marketing towards the people who want to better themselves? And if yeah. I didn't have that mindset from Chloe beating me on the head <laughs> with like, why are you making videos? Physically. Right? What's it for? What's the point? Yeah, I, I went to university, right? And mm. I've done loads of essays and stuff. And it should have been fucking obvious that you should apply this method to, you write about it for like three years and you, when it comes to YouTube, you like start all over again, which is funny. Yeah. But using that process does go into your professional work because you start questioning your clients. For example, when you do, when people ask you for a video, you're like, you are, instead of giving them an answer, you ask, you answer them back with a question like, why? Yeah. Why? And I feel like the more why's you give, it makes you more confident with your work. Yeah. And. Oh, that, no, you're a hundred percent. It like, you can strip back someone's uh, arrogance or you can strip back someone's confidence. You can strip back someone entirely with, that's why it's like a kid thing. Mm. Go to your room. Why? Like the, the amount of power it takes away because you have to be really confident in something you've produced to be able to stand up to wise. Yep. You can, I can, I, it does take no strength at all for me to tell you what I use to do something, how I used it, when I used it but it takes a lot of confidence for me to explain my emotional and intellectual decision-making. Mm. That's where you strip people away. And I think that's where you see, um, that's where I, uh, on like an, on an intellectual and emotional level, that's where I really connect with people. When I can mm. start to see their personality and what they're doing and their, their way of thinking and their process, that's when I feel like I connect with someone. It's yes. like when I watch MMA as well. Right. And like one of the fighters are going, explaining like why they do kickboxing a certain way, why they fast a certain way and they give the breakdown of what they do. You can relate better. You can trust this person. Yeah. You want to be involved. You want to connect with this person because yeah. they, they're authentic. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of, uh, it, 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 there's so much to win with that. Yeah. With that kind of format. Yeah. Because you're transparent, you're honest, you are yourself. So you feel fulfilled. And at the same time you make cool stuff and then you can connect more with people. People are happy to pay you because they're confident enough to trust you. Yeah. Like I always thought like, why is Peter McKinnon giving away all his secrets on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Like he's giving away secrets. What's, why would you do this? <laughs> I would never do this. My dad told me never sell, give your secrets away. People will 
make money and stuff. And then yeah. I realized actually it's because people can trust you. No one, no one has energy to do what you do. Right. But they, I mean, Ryan Brenizer, who's a photographer, I have a, a huge, um, I have a huge love for, I think he's a really cool guy. He, he shadowed Obama and he does like, I think he does like 300 weddings a year. Wow. And he just literally like dumps cards and he has an editor and that's it. He's just there to shoot them. Um, he's the guy behind what people know as the Brenizer technique, which is the stitching of like a spiral of images, right. like almost like a, a square mm -hmm. panel or whatever you want to call it. Um, and there was a, an interview of him where he said that they said to him, like, do you not ever worry that, you telling everyone how to do this is going to mean that no one's going to come to you for it. And he's like, if I have to hide behind this one technique and someone finds it out by chance, I'm completely screwed. Mm -hmm. So I need to carry on developing regardless. People knowing about this technique shouldn't be the be all and end all of like what I am as a, as an artist. Right. If, if this one technique is the difference between everyone else and me, I haven't got anything to hide behind anyway. <laughs> like I'm nothing anyway. Right. So I always really like that mentality of like, you know, if you're, if you're so dependent on people not learning this one thing, you, you know, you probably don't have anything. That's as, that's just gatekeeping. It's almost, yeah. it's, it's like the, um, kind of elitism and snobbishness that, you know, you, that initially drew Harris away from photography because everyone's so protective of, oh, this is how we do it. Or, you know, we can't let the secrets out. Like nobody else is allowed in this exclusive club when really like it's, it's not a zero sum game. Yeah. There's plenty. It's weird because it's elitism, but it's also complete vulnerability. Exactly. When it's you insecurity. strip it back. Yeah, yeah. It's insecurity when really like there's a huge enough pie that everyone can have a slice. There is so many things out there, so many people, so many stories to be told. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you're not getting like the biggest, shiniest one, but is are those the only stories worth telling? Are those the only yeah. people or brands worth showing? Yeah. You know, and the, yeah, I, I think, I think there's definitely room for more. Oh, absolutely. And enabling more of that. Well, that was beautiful. That's the way to wrap this <laughs> yeah. up, right? So everyone needs to know where they can find you. So uh, I need some social media from you guys. So Chloe, where can we find you? Uh, <laughs> Your book. Your book. Yeah, I guess, I guess my Instagram, um, C-H-L-O-B-O-C. Yep. And I guess my Instagram, you can find a link to my YouTube. It's H-V-R-I-S World or H-V-R-I-S on YouTube. Yep. Basically my name, but I put the A upside down because there's like 100 millions of Harris's around the world. Right. And everything was taken. So I was like, fuck this. Well, I, I changed my name. So my name's, my full name is, it'll, let's just go with Chris Carl Faber. Right. So mm. then I got married and we hyphenated the last name and my wife's Arabic and her last name's Tofik. Ah. So I became Chris Carl Tofik Faber. And I was like, it's that's quite, a, quite that, a mouthful, man. That's quite a lot to ask people to remember. <laughs> and it's actually Christopher. So it's Christopher Carl Tofik. Oh my God. So yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll make it easy on people and I'll just call myself Chris Carl. That feels really straightforward. And then every fucker calls me Carl. So I completely lost on that there. <laughs> uh, it's been absolutely brilliant having you guys here. Thank you so much for traveling down. No, thank thank you. you for having us. Boom. It's been fun. Really appreciate it.